Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? It's going all right. How are you today? Well, I'm sitting in a car... Um, so we can record because of, you know, schedules. Uh, so creative recording. I apologize for any uh, sound quality issues, listeners. It's going to be an interesting month for recording. But it's April and I'm being snowed on. Well, my car is being snowed on. This is wrong. I- I'm glad. I'm just glad you're not being snowed on as if you were recording this while you were walking down the snowy street and holding like a microphone up to you <laughs> in, in some sort of weird podcasting on the ground type of situation no my poor my poor microphone would be destroyed it'd be terrible <laughs> terrible uh so yeah so it, it's been um for for me uh another busy week another out-of-town gig I've, I've been playing a bunch of mozart and Mahler, um which is fabulous of course last time i played Mahler, um the one of the movements that i was playing at that at that gig was featured on that week's episode of hannibal and this time now that I'm playing Mahler, Brooklyn Nine-Nine had a Mahler joke. They did have a Mahler joke. It was a pretty funny job, Mahler joke, too, which, I mean, is is he indeed the original punk rock boy? <laughs> I th- I feel like that makes sense for, for Holt, and he is, uh, he is pretty badass, I will say. I, I'm a fan of Mahler. I enjoy Mahler quite a bit. So it, it, of course, I've always preferred Bartok, so... Well, Bartok is also awesome. I'm not limited yeah. in composers that I enjoy. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to Amazing Race this week. Um, but yeah, so because of all of the traveling and all of the Mahler, uh, I, I have not been able to watch all the things normally I would like to talk about. Next, uh, hopefully we'll have thoughts next week on Underground and a few other shows, but, uh, but we've got a lot of TV still that we can talk about. We do indeed. This week, instead of the DVD shelf, at the end of the, se- of the show, we'll be doing a segment kind of talk- checking in on and catching up with our New Year's resolutions, our TV resolutions, which was a fun conversation. Noel, we're <laughs> we'll do better. We can do better. Or at least I can do better. You're doing well. You're like on top of it. I'm mostly on top of it by the fact that I went, oh, crap, I have to watch a bunch of these so I look like I'm on top of it. And that's exactly what I did. So I looked a little bit better than you. That was all that was. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is uh, now officially a quarter of the way through the year, which is kind of scary. But um, but yeah, that was fun. So we'll, we'll talk with that, talk about uh, that stuff at the end of the show. But now let's, let's just dive in. It's going to be a fun conversation this week. Finales. Finales everywhere. Yay, finales. And deaths. Lots of dead people. So many dead people. And one dead person we don't even know. Yeah. Well, and one person who's probably not dead. It's a whole thing. More on that later. Okay, but now we'll take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our week in comedy.
this week in reality and comedy, we're going to talk a little Amazing Race, Let the Good Times Roll, Broad City, Burning Bridges, Fresh Off the Boat, Jessica Place, and The Carmichael Show, New Neighbors. So we're checking in first here with The Amazing Race, which has been on hiatus for a little bit, but we haven't really talked about it for a while. Uh, I was not super anticipating the show coming back, but it's the kind of viewing I like to do when I'm coming down off of a rehearsal high at like 11 o'clock at night. I don't want to like engage my brain with some Americans. Uh, so, so I checked in on this one, and I was, like, really pre- pleasantly surprised. I really liked this episode. Yeah, I thought it was, um, I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, I mostly enjoyed the, um, detours more than anything. I thought were mm-hmm. really interesting little challenges, um, that made up for the fact that the, um, search for the original, um, clue was kind of mean and ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the, yeah, I thought it was an interesting sort of statement on what everybody was looking for. Like, they were there for a long time, and they just didn't even notice the guy who was there cleaning. Right. Like, they looked inside the instruments and, like, inside the costumes of the performers, but completely disregarded. Yeah. Yeah, everywhere. Completely disregarded the janitor, because why would we think of that as a person that we should talk to? Right. I mean, and not everyone, of course, but, uh, yeah. And I don't, I I can't say I wouldn't have made the same mistake. I thought it was, um, the way it was edited and the way that the teams handled that actually worked really well, because as soon as the first team figured it out, I'm like, okay, how do all the teams not see that and figure it out? But they 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 were really chill. Yeah. They kept it, you know, they kept on the DL. Which is good. I mean that. I mean, you're we're getting to the point where they need to start being competitive with one another, as competitive as as you said that they'll allow themselves to be, so that they don't hurt their brand. Yeah, but I I, I did enjoy that uh, saber dance. Of course, I'm a big fan of Kachatorian, another composer. So when he popped, I was like, ah, it's the catch! Oh, awesome! <laughs> and I, I mean, Kachatorian wrote a really fantastic violin concerto uh, that I enjoy uh, a lot. Um, I've never played it. One of these days, I'll learn it. But um, so, so just I don't expect like there's certain composers you expect to see turn up on the Amazing Race. Kajitarian is not one of them, so that was just sort of neat for me. And I like that they were diving in with you know they're like, where have we not spent a lot of time on the Amazing Race? Armenia. Yeah. But they, there's a lot of really great stuff we can talk about here. What, uh, first of all, do you think you would have missed that that clue? And second of all, would you have gone for the rug or the bread? Um, I. Th- I feel like I wouldn't have missed that clue just because, well, I say that, but I can say that from the comfort of my couch and going, well, of course, of course it was the guy with the vacuum. Um, but mm-hmm. in this situation, who, who knows for sure, really? Um, but I think it's one of those things about being aware of your surroundings, which is really important to this show. And I think they just kind of forgot that, distracted by the music and the setting. Um, and I think I would have gone for bread, probably. Mm-hmm. Just because the um, I've seen rugs made before, and <laughs> having seen that, I've been like, no, I am I am not the right person to do that. Let's go, let's go make bread, <laughs> and get hugged by a very large woman who's very enthusiastic about watching these people try and make bread that she can do in her sleep. <laughs> yeah, I was enjoying her, as ever. I was enjoying her and all the other um, people who were like watching their enjoyment yes. of the the challenge. And challengers, um, I would have gone rug, and I, I I really like. And apparently, look, 
based on the next week on, probably we have more of this to look forward to. I love when they do like arts and crafts challenges uh, because I when it's only puzzles or only physical challenges, I feel like that kind of limits certain ones. Like I'm thinking back a couple seasons ago, they had one where they had to make sausage. Um, and, and like, mm-hmm. there were a couple of stay-at-home moms who were there who, who were like, oh, what you mean, ba- like, cook stuff? <laughs> like, basic, straightforward, take care of three kids, kind of make a meal stuff. And they killed right. it. It was awesome. So I like when they have different kinds of, of challenges. And I, I think that was a, you know, the, giving anybody, like, you say you, you've seen rugs made, you, you know how they're made. But a lot of people don't. And so I, I, yeah. I enjoy kind of that window into a very different kind of you know, daily experience. Um, and I think that yes. also is, you know, having them change the oil in a car. It seemed like maybe two people had ever done that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've i certainly seen it done and watched someone else do it, but I don't think I've ever done it. And I think, like, getting that little, getting the cap off, basically, um, not the cap, but the little thing with the wrist, mm-hmm. wrench that uh, What's-Her-Name just could not do for the life of her. Um, I probably would have had the same issue, but at some point I would have done it the other direction, <laughs> I like to think. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think that, I think, I think what we're seeing, at least with some of the legs that they've been doing, is this idea of labor has been really interesting, especially within the last two. And we'll see if that continues um, into this you mentioned the arts and crafts, but just this idea of labor. Like, I mean, we say arts and crafts, but for them, this is making a living. This is mm-hmm. how we feed our family. And I think that that was a, just a really kind of interesting undercurrent in the episode between the janitor and then the two, um, the two detours. Yeah. The service industry, basically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Of Armenia. Of Ar- yeah. Which I mean, yeah. <laughs> you go, Oh, right. Of course. <laughs> and, and going back to the oil change, I mean, it's such a, it's a useful skill to have to know how to change yes. oil. So that's something that they can take home with them and then do if they want at home. Um, so that's what's sort of neat. But also I, I liked, again, going back to the editing and the way that this was all put together, it would be easy to just kind of make fun of her for, for not being able to get the, the filter out. But like three yeah. different people tried to help her and were unable to do it. And, and yeah. only Scott was able to help her out. So, you know, and he did eventually do it, um, but he was busy with his. So, you know, that's, you know, so, and he had experience changing oil filters. So I think it was very, I think it was helpful and and really, uh, they didn't throw her under the bus because they made sure to show. It's not just that she's like stupid or something. Yeah, she's making a basic mistake, but only if you're familiar with how these tools work. Yes. The one thing I'll say is that both her and Cole are going to have to like toughen up a little bit. Yeah. Because they've been like super emotional for like a couple of challenges now and both of them have it hasn't just been her it's been both of them Mm -hmm. and i mean things are just from my understanding things are just going to get harder and i'm looking at the upcoming legs and i'm going oh that's just that's going to be a lot of work probably at some point they're going to figure out something that's going to be a lot of work yeah (laughs) but despite all that stress i gotta say credit to the team sticking together and the sun was super supportive and and yes that was just wonderful to see because if the, if that team was ever gonna melt down it would have happened then but it didn't yeah and and to watch all the other teams like like I'm, I'm not big on the whole the way that the show is trying so hard to get Brody and Blair together um but when she came over and get, came over and gave Sherry that big hug I was like this I love watching these teams not just dissolve into 
back, you know, backstabbing, gleeful kind of, you know, like the other teams felt bad for her. They're like, I this yeah. this helps me out. Yay, this helps me out, but I do feel bad for her. Um so it's nice to see that element of humanity and the human uh spirit <laughs> kind of shown in in these shows that so frequently rely upon people sniping and uh st- and getting kind of bitchy and everything um especially in the last legs of of one of these or you know final eliminations and everything so it's nice to see instead a different side of human nature come out yes absolutely i was super invested in who was gonna go into because i'm i'm seriously rooting for um what it's Corey, right and uh another guy <laughs> what is the team that went for first Corey and tyler Ka- Corey tyler and tyler and Corey. yes i'm super rooting yeah. for them so i was i was very uh relieved when they came in not last and then i was Six. happy that yeah. that uh, it was a non-elimination leg How, were you invested in the end um a little bit i think that this was probably my favorite episode so far or at least favorite in the in- favored in the sense that i was really actually like kind of into the race itself as opposed to going oh these challenges are nice Ooh, look at the very pretty mountains <laughs> and um so yeah um i'm still i'm feeling like brody and carter just going to continue to dominate i mean they haven't come in anything below second since the first leg mm-hmm. so i'm I, i'd like to see some things change up a little bit and i mean we got a sizable like change up with the exception of dana and matt who have been very consistent in terms of coming in third or fourth um since the first leg so i'm hoping things start to shake up a little bit and brody and kurt's domination starts to trail off because i mean if pro frisbee players win well hey Corey <laughs> and tyler were one or two every leg until this one so right clearly it can happen yeah, i mean yeah no i'm so i'm just ready for i'm ready for i'm ready for something i'm ready for a shake-up either way okay well um yeah. we'll see if we get that but let's move on to our week in comedy and i'm going to kick it off here with broad city burning bridges uh which you haven't had a chance to see yet but i really really enjoyed i thought it was um it was one of their more dramatic episodes they've done there was plenty of comedy and they brought back Susie Yasmin and bob balaban as alana's parents always wonderful to see them but there's progression with um i guess i'll just say with alana because i don't want to spoil it for you noel um, but there's oh I already I kind of already know what happens oh, so you're fine okay. don't worry you can go into detail it's okay okay well then I will put so so Lincoln breaks up with Alana because they're in different places and he wants a commitment from someone and since it can't be her um, it's going to be this other woman that he's been seeing and uh, I thought that the way the show handled that and Alana and and Lincoln in that um, was really great so, that was so great and um, the sort of Alana knowing she's got to be cool with this because he's everything he's saying is right. And she keeps saying she doesn't want, a, you know, a monogamous relationship. So, you know, that's what happens is sometimes you want different things. And, and, and so the her watching her process that and react to it and then it having it build to the end of the episode where she does just like let all the shitty part of it out when she's talking with Abby was, was really effective and really well done. And at the same time, Abby is uh, developing her relationship with Trey. So we, shall we say, and what is really interesting and, um, and fun was, was really, it was a good episode. It was one of the better ones this season there. It's a bit farce, um, a bit on the nose farce for a while when uh, Abby is going back and forth between the different dinner tables, um, chugging Uh martinis and, and slurping wine. Like that was a bit, 
broader, for lack of a better word, than maybe it needed to be. But the way it all came together was really effective. And I'm looking forward to the last couple episodes here. And I, uh, I anticipate some good stuff with Trey. I mean, there was even a positive Bevers scene. I mean, what? So I th- that's that's insane. I've actually been enjoying the fact that he's barely been in this season because I can't stand that character at all. He's very <laughs> well deployed here, though, I will say. Very yeah. well deployed. Well, that's good. Yeah. I also just to mention, side note, I love that um, she's trying to decide what to wear and she ends up wearing that blue dress that she has, that Abby has, that we've seen her mm-hmm. wear like when she needs a nice dress. This is the dress she wears. I love that the show is consistent with they have limited wardrobes. Uh, especially yes. like on the higher end of their wardrobes. I think that's a really n- nice touch that, you know, they make sure to stay consistent too. But anyways, when you get a chance to see it, Noel, I look forward to your thoughts, but I thought it was really good. And I'm looking forward to where they, if they continue these storylines, where they progress them too. Um, and uh, if not, you know, just kind of seeing how the characters develop outside of these specific storylines, I would definitely expect more directly connected with Abby with Alana. It might be more thematically or just kind of continual growth related as opposed to actually like bumping into Lincoln again. Uh, I would be surprised if that happened this season, but um, yeah, it's again, glad to have this, the guest cast back and glad to see them doing something a little more dramatic while also being funny. So a strong broad city this week, but we also had a strong fresh off the boat, Jessica place. I haven't seen any Melrose place. Have you seen any Melrose place? Yes, I have seen, gosh, I'll say a handful of Melrose Place and then, like, clips from, like, various things. But, yeah, so I've seen enough Melrose Place, at least, that I was able to just really, 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 really enjoy Jessica Place. So much that I want them to do this every year, at least twice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was delightful. The credits were fabulous. And the um the 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 schemes with the schemes and, and like the thing with the wig. I mean, I've I've listened to Extra Hat Great enough to know that wigs are a big deal in shows like Nine Two One Zero and Melrose Place. So, uh, yes, that was delightful and such a fun way to to kind of turn that around. But uh, yeah, I, I really in, enjoyed this one. I didn't. But anytime we were with the guys, I kind of wanted to be back with Jessica. I think a lot of it was just the parody stuff that I really responded to with it. Um, so that like. The the slow reveal and the long glances like of um, Honey talking to uh, Evan in that huge chair that's clearly way too large for him, but he was sitting in the dark. And just all of it. And then the reveal that it was all about the mailbox all along <laughs> um, was just great. And I, I think the, what helped make sure that it landed even nicer was the fact that Marvin was aware that they were doing basically a parody in a lot of ways. <laughs> Which, I mean, he's just watching this and eating, and then Courtney Thorne Smith shows up for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Other than that, she was, of course, on Melrose Place. And it was just, it was really, really funny. Um, you mentioned the other boys and everything. Um, how did you feel about um, the vest? Because that was, that, like Melrose Place, is such a quintessentially 90s thing. Mm-hmm. That it it just rang so true, and then Evans Evans slam of the best. You are not a football player giving a post game interview, Dad. <laughs> was so amazing and so on point <laughs> that I kind of fell off the couch when he said that. The the best was was pretty quality. Emery dealing with it. I shouldn't shouldn't say Evan, but Emery. Yeah. Um. No, I thought I thought that was fun, a nice through line, and I thought it looked fine. But, I mean, I'm not a style person, so I'm yeah. just going to go with Emery on this. 
Uh, so do you, like, when you get really angry, do you shout into jars? Because I think that's a really good idea. I may start doing that. No, I don't shout into jars. I have been known to scream into a pillow, which is very, very satisfying. But then you can't save the scream. No, you can't save it. <laughs> but yeah, I- I've been known to startle people every now and again when I, you know, if I hulk out, <laughs> which happens very very rarely but there have been a couple times and be like whoa it's because usually i'm pretty chill but um yeah that's why that's why you have a scream jar or a pillow so you can repress that shit right that's healthy that's exactly how that works yeah that's how that works um yeah i thought that was fun too and and it made sense for emery it does it makes perfect sense for emery yeah um well any final thoughts on fresh off the boat or shall we uh, dive in with the carmichael show we should move on to the Carmichael show and their odd, their legitimately odd misfire this week. Yeah, it was just bad. Oh, so you think it was just right out bad. Tell me why you thought it was like right out bad. It was poorly written. I didn't believe the characterizations at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I can believe Gerard's mom would jump to terrorist, but I don't buy it from the dad. And mm-hmm. it's just... It's just there to set up a, the parents think one thing, and the girlfriend gets to be the shrill liberal again, who eventually gets toned down into sounding reasonable by the end of the episode, and then Gerard's just there to be like, well, who even knows? Let's grease this conversation. Um, it, I didn't really buy it, and I also... When Gerard's trying to be like the, well, see, here's where they're coming from. That works better if they're coming from anywhere that makes any goddamn sense. And everything he was saying was, at least to me, really far to the right and yet being presented as if it was central. Centrist. Mm -hmm. So that's where I sort of was with it. It was kind of similar to how uh, some of the issue I was having um, with, with Cosby where I didn't, I feel like they just kind of, put Maxine in this role of she's the person telling them why they're bad people or why they should not think what they think or whatever and being the moral authority but they don't actually let her be funny a lot of the time and they didn't do enough to actually support she's like to actually support what she was saying and have it be a conversation and not have her just be there to like chastise them um so this episode also didn't really do the thing the show usually does where it zags when we expect a zig, and it does gets into a more interesting conversation. They threaten to do that briefly when they talk about, you know, have the the, the neighbors come over and they talk about um, stereotypes of, you know, African Americans versus Muslim Americans um, or, or Muslims living in America, I should say. Um, but he didn't really get into that even. Very, I just I just thought it was poorly written and not very funny and certainly not particularly insightful. So for me, it was just like a oof. Carmichael show better luck next time uh, were you more positive than I was it would kind of be hard not to be <laughs> I think I was a little more positive I think that the key issue with this was the fact that the show because it, because of the nature of the show which is this very discourse driven show the characters are going to have to do stupid things sometimes for the show to like talk about it talk about whatever topic they want to talk about that week and so joe and cynthia just steadily becoming like caricatures within this 
is kind of ridiculous and not great. I mean, I I think that some of the stuff was actually really funny, mainly Gerard's line where he says, where is it? Um, I agree. If you see something, say something, but you're not supposed to do something. And you didn't even see something. You saw nothing and stole something. I thought it was really funny. Um, and it made the show seem vaguely aware that it was doing something ridiculous, but then they just didn't do anything past that. Um, and like you said, I don't think that the show extended it beyond the idea that you guys are being really horrible and Islamophobia is bad, and that was like the central message of it. Um, I think the one key thing, and this gets back to what we talked about with Cosby and what we talked about with, and what you talked about here is Maxine. And um, Emily Nossbaum made a really terrific point that the Carmichael show basically needs to embrace the fact that Maxine is totally their Diane Chambers. Mm-hmm. And make her a little weird and a little funny. And um, that, I think, would probably... I mean, it's such an astute observation from her. And she's... Emily Nossbaum's always full of astute observations. And I think that that's one of those situations where she's absolutely correct. That making letting Maxine be a little weird and quirky like the rest of it, as opposed to being just the one who's always gets to be kind of right and scolding. I mean, you can be right and scolding, but still be funny. And the show, Carmichael show, doesn't really need two straight men. It it already has Gerard. He's he's there to like mediate and filter everything for everyone else on the opposing sides. But they don't need two of that. <laughs> they just need someone who's funny on the other side where Maxine's coming from. And I think that there's plenty of potential for Maxine to do that. But it's it hasn't happened yet, and it de- definitely didn't happen in uh, Neighbors. I was really glad that they let Gerard's brother be a voice of reason as well this week, which he usually doesn't get to be. So having him come and be like this. No, they're really nice. You guys are being crazy. Uh, That was a nice change of pace. And and I thought that worked pretty well. Um, Very well. More than more than pretty well. And I completely agree. Let's make you know, let's. It's. I keep going back to this idea this year. This is like the pee on the screen sixteen. Uh, you know, fifteen of sixteen. This idea of they take the 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 character that they're trying to make be the straight person, like, uh, pretty person, a la Faginelli and Brandon Routh, and in this episode, you know, Maxine, let her be weird because when she's weird. You know, that'll make a lot more sense and be a lot more entertaining than just always being the bland, correct one. Um, so, yeah, more that's, you know, let's change things up a little bit. Just quirk here. Like, like, the, like on, in the episode with the funeral where she, like, couldn't handle dead bodies, you know, <laughs> that that was a, a great little way to, to develop that character and do something a little quirkier, a little bit more interesting. And I think the, if they can embrace that. That would be very good for for the show and for the character but for the actress let her do more than you know just stand and be incensed yeah i think that she has there's like edges of like a really good performance from her like creeping out if the writing will let it happen i yeah, think I agree. it's like right on the edges where she gets like a little bit to do and you can see her get really really excited yeah. And she's just like, oh, yes, I, c- I can do this. This is my moment. And then it's just like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Back to this. Okay. It's fine, guys. Whatever. I'll be over here. 
but yeah, so I think that if they if they let everyone loose and they do, everyone else gets to let loose. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, at the same time, I mean, she, the, Maxine makes a good point in that part of her being reserved is the fact, it may in fact be because people get afraid of so, of a scary black lady. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, which what wins your week in comedy? Oh, Jessica Place, by far and away. Uh, Fresh Off the Boat just made me laugh a whole lot this week, even though um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which we didn't discuss, was pretty solid this week as well. But Fresh Off the Boat made me laugh a good bit. What about you? Yeah. Oh, I'm getting to Broad City. Though I okay. did also, you know, Fresh Off the Boat was also really good and uh, had a lot of fun with Archer this week again and lots of fun comedies. But this week, for me, it goes to Broad City. Now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre. So, so many thoughts. Right after this. Strap yourselves in. This week in genre, Noel's going to talk about Powerpuff Girls, Escape from Monster Island, Princess Buttercup, The Stayover, Pain Bow, Horn Sweet Horn, and unfortunately not Man Up. Maybe more thoughts on that next week. But a bunch of Powerpuff Girls. Then we'll both chime in with the Walking Dead finale, Last Day on Earth. Uh, and we'll swing right into Arrow 1159 uh, before we just cleanse the palate a little bit. Spoiler alert. Uh, with Adventure Time, don't look. So we're starting and ending with animation. And based on how everyone else reacts to Powerpuff Girls, which I have still almost never seen. Um, we're also starting and ending with some of the more delightful and entertaining of the week's genre. Uh, what did you think of Powerpuff Girls? And were you a fan of the franchise previously? Yes, I was actually a big fan of the franchise um, previously. I remember watching episodes uh, when they like aired during the day. But also, I was one of those kids when Toonami like, first, first started doing its midnight run section would stay up and watch it. And Powerpuff Girls was like put in between uh, Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon sometimes. Uh, to like fill like a little bit of extra airtime um, instead of running commercials, which was always really great. So I I would stay up and watch Toonami, and so Powerpuff Girls was sometimes inserted into that. But as I was watching the new series, uh, which um, doesn't I'm fairly positive doesn't have a lot of the um, original production team or anything behind it, um, including like new voice actors for uh, Blossom Bubbles and Buttercup. Uh, I think the only person who came back was Tom Kenny, um, who we know from uh, Adventure Time quite a bit, and he's still playing the mayor and the narrator. And uh, Tom Kane's back as Professor um, Utonium. But for the most part, even like the like production crew behind it, so like the McCrackens aren't involved or anything. Um, so this was, it's good for what it is, I think. Um, and but I can't compare it to the original series because I can't like have a firm memory of the original series, which is troubling for me because they aired so many episodes. But I remember like pictures and images and just all that the tone of the first show. And for me, this relaunch show feels very much in line with Teen Titans Go in a lot of ways. Have you watched any of Teen Titans Go? I have not. Okay, that's all right. Um, in a way that this feels more like the funnier hangout version of the show that I remember from like at least sixteen years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Wait, I have seen, like, I've seen, like, a day's worth of binging of Teens Titan Go, like, an afternoon's worth. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, like, some of the episodes, particularly the stay over, was really, really funny in which Blossom and Buttercup basically try to recover from a candy binge um, uh, sleepover party. And they have to retrace. It's basically the hangover, but in a kid-friendly way. And it was really, really funny. But then I just went, but where's the... Where's the bad guy trying to take over this town that you... Where's the bad guy trying to take over Townsville that you are going to beat up? Where's him? And Mojo Jojo shows up. Mojo Jojo! More so like a quick cameo to like acknowledge, oh, right, nope, still here, don't worry. And like Princess Morbuck shows up and everything, but it's just like, oh, I wanted wanted to see someone try to take over Townsville. And it kind of happened in um, Painbow where a... Hard pot partying bear, but not a party bear from Adventure Time. Key thing to remember. <laughs> um, showed up as like a. Um, did you ever have one of those crazy um, trapper keepers with like rainbows and unicorns and just really happy animals? I forget like the brand that used to make those. Lisa Frank is the yes, brand. Yes, Lisa Frank. Exactly. So basically, like this Lisa Frank dreamscape took over the town. And it's really funny, but it just, it didn't remind me of, like, it didn't trigger a memory of the first show in my brain. So maybe Man Up, in which they um, deal with Man Boy, who is, like, a man rights activist, apparently, and I I love this idea, um, that aired today will kind of, like, trigger something for me. But I'm also looking for, like, more classic um, Powerpuff Girl villains to show up at some point so i'm hoping that happens um but these episodes were good and it's a it's a solid restart for the series i think that speaks to more so where cartoons are now which is why like um whatchamacallit uh teen titans go is very much of a brand of where cartoon network wants to be and i think that the powerpuff girls represents that as well okay if I don't have a history with the Powerpuff Girls, do you recommend checking this out? Or do you recommend just watch the original Powerpuff Girls? Both. No, um, if you need to split your time, and but if you want to like catch this, um, I'd recommend just like sampling um, Stay Over and Painbow. I think those were the two strongest of the um, episodes that they aired this week that I got to see. And uh, see if you like it. And yeah, if you do, then yeah, I, I would keep going. I mean, they're going to be running episodes... Um, Basically, all through the rest of the month, it looks like. Okay. <laughs> like, one a day for the rest of the month, pretty much. One a weekday for the rest of the month. It's a Powerpuff Bomb. Yes, it's basically a Powerpuff Bomb. So, lots, lots to watch. Um, but, yeah. So, no, it's good. And, but, or you can, I mean, they're only, like, 11 minutes. Basically, 11 to 15 minutes. Just, like, Adventure Time or Steven Universe or that sort of thing. So, they're not a huge commitment. Okay. Well, so I'll have to see about that and check that out because certainly any 11 minutes of uh, Powerpuff Girls would have to have been better than the shit show that was the Walking Dead finale this week, last day on Earth. Spoiler alert, I didn't think it was good. Did Wait, did anyone think it was good? Aside from know. Aside from Gimple, who uh, is defending this episode to his grave, probably. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand why it was so long, other than, you know, AMC wanting it to be longer so they could charge more for ads or something. God, because so many commercials. I watched this live. There were so many commercials. It's an hour. So it, it was like 64 minutes without commercials, and it was 90 minutes 
with commercials and it's just so bad. Okay. So I, I didn't, I, I had issues with this episode before we even got to the bullshit ending, which we will talk yes, about listeners. No. Never you fear. The entire thing is just bad. <laughs> so normally I'm like, Ooh, Carol scenes. Those will be great, but they were bad. And um, uh, I, I'm, I'm vaguely intrigued by the dude, like the night dude. The on paintball the dudes. Yep. That, that's vaguely intriguing to me. But the way we get there is a waste of time. Um, the way they had, they sent Carol off, that's how you end a character's arc for the season. And then you check in with them next season and do this. Mm-hmm. Not this season. So that was just a waste of all of our time. And the rest of the episode was just... Cause, but it, that needed to be in there, because if that wasn't there, the whole rest of the episode would have just been, oh, until we get to the next commercial break, we're going to go down this road. Oh, we can't? Okay, let's go down another road. Oh, we can't? I mean, there was nowhere near enough... Um, like, they were they were just foreshadowing, and the way they're like, it's going to be great, guys. It's going to be great. Like, we, after the first two times, we get what you're doing, show. It's just not interesting. And um, I don't think that they... They, they made any, like, they didn't make our time, like, when we got to the ending, it didn't make the rest of the time we had spent getting there worth it at all. Um, and then there was that ending to cap it all off. So, I mean, just, I was just, I, I was watching my life slip away from me because I gave it, gave an hour and a half with commercials of my life to this episode and it did not deserve it. No. And even just from a basic plot level, like, my question isn't one of the Savior's man count or resources. It's about the Savior's time management abilities and their apparent clairvoyance to know that Maggie was going to need medical assistance so that they set up roadblocks everywhere (laughs) to the hilltop. (laughs) And it was just like, oh, right, all right, so we're going to cut down some trees and uh, that's taken care of. Uh, We're going to chain up some zombies and attach one of Michonne's uh, braids to it to fuck with everyone. Oh, well, that's taken care of. And then uh, I guess we'll just sit here and wait for them to show up. Have they shown up yet? Uh, no, it's been like a week. We've been sitting here for a week. I guess no one needs any medical attention. And she's like, what the fuck? Yep. <laughs> when was this decision made to basically set up a blockade around the hilltop to, to then drive them into the woods to trap them with a whistling trap. <laughs> like they're in fucking, fucking Pan Am. Pan Am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not good. Uh, see, you, I feel like you've now had the full Walking Dead experience. No, I have. Like, like, this season started out so good. Right. I was really keen on the like uh, everything basically up until the same boat. Well, I and the same boat. I was really keen on. But then these last three episodes, I just went... What the hell is the, what where where did these three episodes come from and what the hell happened? Is it's the same I writers? Don't know. <laughs> like it's just like how with the same writers doing these episodes as doing the first half of this half season. Yeah. Um that's the thing that happens so frequently on The Walking Dead. They build stuff up uh really well or they 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 do individual character episodes and they do all sorts of really interesting things and then the last couple episodes and certainly the finales collapse like a flan in a cupboard and waste all of our time so i think we're on the same page with pretty much everything so far uh let's get to the very ending and talk about how this show managed to make me bored 
with the Jeffrey Dean Morgan scene. That should never happen. Well, it doesn't help that he gave a rambling, repetitive 10-minute speech that I legitimately feel like they gave Jeffrey Dean Morgan an outline for, and then he just made it up as he went. And it was just like, guys, this is my first day of shooting. I'm not really, I don't really totally understand this character. And they're just like, no, no, you're fine. Just work in Lucille, pee-pee pants town, and uh, that you want their shit and you're good. You've got it, man. You've got this. You played a ghost on Grey's Anatomy. You can handle this. And it's just like, no, you need to give him something to say. (laughs) This was so much worse than Head Denny. This was worse than, you know, like, than than sex with Head Denny. Uh, This was way worse than him on Supernatural. Way worse than him on uh, Good Wife. Uh, So normally, I'm, like, totally in the bag for, for Jeff and Dean Morgan. And, like... Anybody who watched the uh, the Watchmen knows that he can be really, really good as a psychopath uh, in those scenes with the comedian uh, earlier in that way too long, yes. un- regrettable film that still has a few flashes of brilliance. Um, and yeah, it just it's long and it's rambling. It's terribly written, and it's not only just keep uh, just keep monologuing. You you got this you got this actor, but it's also well we need you to make sure that you tell them that they're not allowed to talk or react because then they would because that's what any character would and then people would know that they're that that character isn't dead because they could hear them saying no. Yeah. So uh, that was just so just painfully contrived, you know when they're like at the end when he's saying you're not allowed you can cry basically you can do anything that doesn't let people know who's reacting. Um, because we don't want to tell people who he's killed because we haven't decided who it's going to be yet. <sighs> yeah. It, I, I mean, the one thing for me anyway, that kind of kept that, that initially, 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 initially for like the first two or three minutes, mm-hmm. they kept that scene afloat. Aside from me going, it's Jeffrey Dean Morgan <laughs> type of thing. And I mean, the man, the man's just a font of charisma. Um, and he's he's still like compelling to like watch swagger around and everything. It's um, very good casting, yeah. Right. No, it's it's just the writing was just shit. But the other thing that kind of kept me going was the fact that Andrew Lincoln, man, just his look of just sheer fear and bafflement at them getting fucked over like this was really impressive. Like he that that. Mm. He was, Rick was on the verge of a nervous collapse that entire scene, and Lincoln was selling the shit out of it in the reaction yeah. shots. And it was really, really good. It was really compelling stuff. Um, See, but, that's the trouble. They went on too long. I didn't believe right. that he would still be in that oh shit headspace yes. for that entire monologue. Right. But the other thing that I kept circling back to with the oh shit stuff was I was just like, this is a really good character moment for Rick. But, oh my god, I feel like we didn't really discuss the fact that Maggie was, like, in a massive amount of pain this entire episode. Yeah, because Maggie being near death doesn't matter, because she's not Rick. No, we're just going to keep backing up the RV. (laughs) And, oh, she's got a fever. Oh, she's burning up. Oh, we're going to carry her through the woods. (laughs) Yep. And it's just, like, all sense of, like logic went out the window with this episode and 
or like my idea of what logic should be on this show, I guess, is a better way to say this because I don't want to impose like my sense of logic. I mean, shows have their own internal sense of realism and their own internal senses of logic that they need to adhere to. This was just delay, delay, delay for build up, and it was really bad build up. And yeah. like you said, it's entirely motivated to get to that point of view shot that looks like it came out of going back to the 90s and 1990s and i think zach hanlon said this on twitter it looked like a 1990s full full motion video from a cd-rom video game and that's mm-hmm. terrible it looked so bad like bad yeah. i cringed at it and i was just like you guys do great job with makeup and prosthetics on this show like insanely great job like that whole zombie red rover line super scary and just amazing to look at that last shot was laughable and horrible. I would ask who you think is dead, but I don't think either of us care. No, and I mean, it was so weird because I was like ready to go to bed or watch some. I I was ready to watch like I had recorded another episode of Bob's Burgers and they had a really great week, uh, two episodes this week um, to like cleanse the palate as it were. But I decided to watch a little bit of The Talking Dead because I've never really watched The Talking Dead. And it was just mind-boggling to me watching The Talking Dead and Chris Hardwick being like, this was, like, great, guys, and I, I understand that that's his job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, Chris, no. <laughs> Please don't try and sell me on that. The only thing that I took away from The Talking Dead is that Jeffrey Dean Morgan apparently dresses like Jason from The Good Wife, which leads me to think that he is actually Jason from The Good Wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm okay with that, because, I mean, he was dressed in, like, a leather coat. He had his hair spiked up like Jason. He had the glasses and everything. I'm just like, oh, you are Jason. This is really confusing for me. And then someone made the correct point that um, Negan is probably Jason in a post-apocalyptic setting. Okay. Well, fair enough. Yeah. And I like that idea. (laughs) All right. Well, do you have any other uh, thoughts or access to grind on this Walking Dead finale? I'm try- I- I'm trying to determine whether or not I'm going to like come back. Like I came on came on to like this half of the season to discuss it with you and that sort of thing. And after this, I'm not entirely sure I want to come back for yeah, why season would seven. You? <laughs> why would anyone? I don't know, but at the same time, like I mean, I'm totally watching the Fear of the Walking Dead premiere, so maybe I'm a masochist. But I also like the Fear of <laughs> Walking Dead more than a lot of people did. But I think it's also because I just didn't have the Walking Dead fatigue. So all of this was like interesting and novel and it's problems where I'm just like, oh, they can figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) Which will clearly be my downfall. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to come back just because I don't I don't care. It can be a really good show. Yeah. I have to remind myself that a month ago it was a really good show. We talked about how it was one of the best genre shows going right now. Yes. I remember saying that, and now I feel like a chump. Yeah. But I said the same thing about the 100 last year, and I feel like a real chump this year. Yeah. Well, talk about chumps. Let's let's move on to Arrow. Yes, let's Arrow talk about 1159. 1159. Um, so we we talked about this off, off mic previously, but I'm just going to put this out there. Laurel's not dead because that was way too convenient a way for her to die off screen. And if she were dead, then they wouldn't have said, she's fine. They would have said, you know, it's in and out. Who knows? Because then it would make more sense for her to be doing these deathbed conversations with, with Ollie. Mm-hmm. So 
that's what I'm going with. But, you know, there, there are parts of this episode that I think really work and parts of this episode that I just am, am baffled by. Um, so let's start with a part that really works. And I think that's Paul Blackthorne, who I think killed it. Yes. In this episode. But, God, he's gotten, he must be just so used to being this show's chew toy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That he just gets it internally somehow and he just understands it because, and I mean, I gave him like huge props when we did the end of the year stuff is like most overacting, basically most acting. Mm -hmm. And I'm still willing to give it to him because it's just like the man aims for the back row each time and nails it. Okay. What about uh, the rest of the episode? Well, first of all, what do you think about Laurel's death? I don't know if you care, but do you think she's dead? See, here's the thing. If I mean, I wrote my review as if she were dead because the show wants me to treat her as dead. The producers in their interviews want me to treat her as dead. There's not any like, oh, we're going to kind of glen this um, and leave you in suspense. They're just like, no, she's dead. And then he, then Mark Guggenheim follows it up with, oh, but we also kind of have to reevaluate the meaning of death on Arrow because there's time travel and alternate Earths and mm-hmm. Lazarus pits. And it's just like, well, Mark, if that's your approach to things, then if um, you're going to bring her back, then you just need to stop killing people because then it doesn't mean anything. And if she's faking her own death, then we're in a situation that we were last season where Oliver pretended to be a, well was an asshole while pretending to be an evil asshole (laughs) and Mm -hmm. the whole ramifications of that. And it's basically just, I'm to the point where it's just like, if you're repeating that idea and why Laurel would want to fake her death, I'm not entirely sure. I'm basically just like, well, then don't, don't do this. Don't do this to your characters because Diggle's not going to react well because he's going to take all of this onto himself because he didn't listen to Oliver about Andy and blah, 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 blah. And so he's going to be, like, furious with himself for getting Laurel killed, basically. And um, it's just like, don't do this to your characters. Don't do this to your audience. And if you're, like, if you're going to bring, like, Laurel from Earth 2 or Earth 3 or Earth 52 or whatever, that's... I'm okay with that on some level. It's just like, that's what the show is at this point. But mm-hmm. if you're going to Lazarus pit her, or if you're going to time travel her back, don't kill her. Cause that Laurel is going to be a different Laurel from a different earth. It's going to be like the Harrison Wells thing. It's going to yeah. be different, but otherwise, no, she needs to stay dead. Cause otherwise then I have to, you guys have to figure out a way to bring Constantine back onto the show so mm-hmm. that Laurel doesn't have bloodlust and WB is not going to let you do that. So you're fucked. Yeah. Um, so, apart from Paul Blackthorne, did anything else work for you? Because for me, this episode was basically just um, daisy chained together from really stupid idiot character things that were necessary for them to get to that point. And it was just a really bad episode for me. I really liked uh, Katie Cassidy in this. And I thought I think she's been actually very good the last few episodes. So, I think if, if she is gone, at least they let her go out well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the it was nice to see her get some stuff to work with and seeing her as this more mature kind of person for Oliver to talk to as she has been for yes. much of at least the back half of the season. It's just such a better look for the character than yeah. what they were doing with her for years. Yes. Um, yeah, just the confidence and um, her knowing herself 
it took them forever to get to that point, but I do I think that that is the version of the character that works by far the best. So I thought she got some nice scenes here. I, you know, they were clearly were making sure that they were servicing that character in the last few episodes. Um, yes. And uh, the stuff with Diggle, um, I, I mean, I think it's good that they actively give Diggle and, and you know, John and Ollie th- some, some things to bond them after, you know, the stuff last season. But um, I'm not sure. I mean, it's... It, it, I have a similar thought about something on the Americans that we'll get to. I, I want to know why we spent all this time with this character just to do that. Mm-hmm. So that that's sort of where I'm at with that with that part of it. And and yes, you know the they need to they needed to get dark out so that they could have their end of season big bad and all, everything. But it's just it feels very perfunctory. And perfunctory is the right word because so much of it hinged on stupid stuff for me. It was just like, oh, we we kept the idol. Okay, but Malcolm's going to rob it. We upped the security. Well, not well enough. And then it was just like, oh, there's a piece missing. Oh, well, I hid the piece. Well, I found the piece during this off-screen moment because I know you, Mm -hmm. but it also doesn't matter. And it's just like, no, show. You don't get to take all these narrative shortcuts and call this an episode. Yeah. (laughs) You need need to do stuff. (laughs) And you yeah. need to do stuff that makes sense to your yeah. characters. And so, no, this was, like, just, it was bad. I don't even understand, like, why, based on Malcolm's comments in the last episode where Hive was done with Damien, that Malcolm was willing to break him out for Hive's sake? So that he and Thea could be saved from Genesis? And it's just like... Wait, no, you were just gloating about the fact that he was in jail last week and enjoying the fact that he was... You were, you were making fun of his performance issues last week, Malcolm, and now mm-hmm. you're breaking him out of jail. Right. Yeah. There were things that happened in between these two episodes that you guys didn't tell me about, and that's not mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> yeah, I just don't care about anything with Merlin, so I just kind of check out of it, much like I don't care about the flashback, so I just check out of it. Yeah, and even though, like, this time the flashbacks were very much about reestablishing the big connections to the present-day stuff, which will increasingly come into play um, based on how Arrow operates. Remind me what those are, other than, I've seen this before. Right. Okay, he could have just said, I've seen this before on Leon Yu, and that's, I didn't need to spend an entire season on on, on these flashbacks. No, no, no. So remember, like, um, Ryder is a member of Shadow Spire. Shadow Spire is that organization that tried that took over Argus briefly and shot Amander Waller in the head. Mm-hmm. And so, but Ryder works for Shadow Spire, and presumably Ryder still has an interest in the paranormal or supernatural or whatever. Because Ryder's still alive, remember? He, like, got out. He was in Iraq with Andy and Yeah, but Diggle, why do we but- care? We don't care, but, I mean, it's, the sh- it's what the show does, is, like, it keeps bringing the flashbacks so that they suddenly feel relevant um that's the, back that's into the, the difference it all except right. in season two they, they come together but they still don't feel relevant to me right no and i i'm not disagreeing with you i'm just saying that this is what the show does and it's just like yeah. guys no no one cares um i guess the only other thing for 1159 regardless of whether or not laurel's dead dead or however we want to parse this is, God, Arrow just likes to kill off its female characters, doesn't it? Yep. 
I mean, they've killed Moira, they've killed Shadow, they've killed Amanda Waller, they killed Sarah, but they brought Sarah back to life, they killed Laurel, they're gonna kill, um, Flashback Lady this year, because Oliver has to go to Russia to let her family know that she died, um, since they made that promise in this episode, so it's just like, oh, well, sorry, you're dead, you're also dead because you're a woman in a flashback, and the women in the flashback always die, unless you're Tatsu. Mm And it's just like, oh, this this has been good, Arrow. I mean, the only two women, I think, who are alive are, aside from Thea and Felicity, are Oliver's girlfriend from season one, whose name I can't remember, but was a cop. <laughs> okay. And Huntress, who is so worried about being killed that the actress has gone to two different shows and two, set in two different centuries to avoid being killed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no arrow really fond of killing all its female characters off <laughs> yeah yeah well I, I i'm i don't have anything else to say about arrow um i just i keep watching i'm part I know. of the problem you i mean we are both part of the problem i mean not like i'm getting paid to write about it and i'm still like even after all of this i'm still like vaguely interested to see how they're going to wrap up all of this like i mean are they just going to smash the idol again and like shoot some arrows into dark after his mojo goes away i mean how do you stop him basically is my question and i'm actually hoping that they answer that question in an interesting way apart from oliver's um checkoff's tattoos that (laughs) kicked in in the flashbacks but will presumably kick in again um in the present day because again the flashbacks always come back to be relevant (laughs) yep so Um, but yeah yeah I don't really, I just, I, I, that, I'm sure that will happen. They are Chekhov's tattoos. Uh, but it's just, again, I just, it's really hard to care. So I will keep watching. It will keep having action. Um, I'm sure they will bring things full circle and all, but uh, yeah. We'll see if I, if we check in again before the finale. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll have, I'm sure we'll have thoughts. Do you have any final thoughts on Arrow or should we move on to Adventure Time? Let's move on to Adventure Time so that I can feel better about myself. This is a really cute, sweet episode. It is, if not a little, if not slightly disturbing. But that's what Adventure Time does. I really liked, uh, you know, just this examination of how uh, Finn sees everyone, a really straightforward, like, (laughs) opening scene of, oh, hey, here's a warning not to go here. Let's go there. Which feels so in character for them. And then, but you know, speaking to larger truths about uh, about how we interact with different people and and how Finn sees everybody and how he sees himself and the way the power that other people have to shape your your idea and your self-conception like your idea of yourself and your self-conception it was you know again it was an interesting topic entertainingly conveyed and I liked the little blue eye thingies they're creepy yes they were creepy um and I enjoyed how they kind of played off the show's love of um, engaging in more anime eyes, for want of a better term, and just went, oh, but these can be kind of scary if used this way, um, which I thought was kind of cute. Um, I think the my first big reaction to Don't Look was, wait, Turtle Princess's library is kind of underground? <gasps> is it the library from Avatar? Because <laughs> um, I don't nice. think, we, I couldn't remember if we had seen the library's exterior before. And I don't, I, I, I mean, there's so many episodes that, mm-hmm. no, there's, there's 227 episodes as of Don't Look. So I'm just like, I, I, maybe we haven't, I've just forgotten, which has probably happened, but I still went, oh, maybe there's a big scary owl living in the library. <laughs> um, 
so, but I agree with everything that you said about how this was a really interesting look at how Finn sees everyone and and how he thinks he sees everyone and how he wants to see everyone. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, and I thought some of the forms that they took were interesting. What did you, um, and most specifically, not Jake or poor Bimo who had the best dream, um, which was just <laughs> such a great way to end that episode. I, I My heart broke a little bit, as it always does. Uh, whenever BMO's involved in something because BMO breaks my heart and I love BMO. Um, but what did you think about how he saw Bubblegum? I thought that was awesome. I I loved that they did that because it subverted expectations. I love that it's, he sees her as a peer and a friend as a teenage boy, basically is how he sees her right now. And mm-hmm. it's not the only way he sees her, but in that moment, in that day, that's how he was feeling towards her. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was so delight, just like a, a delightful sidestepping of expectations for, for how that could have gone. So I really liked it. What did you think? No, I really liked it too. And I had like the same response to it as well. I was, I was really surprised and really happy that she she turns into as you said like this peer um which was a nice kind of it wasn't just a sidestep from what we thought but a sidestep from how everyone else had been depicted so it's just like oh you see me as a big brother in a varsity jacket and you see shelby as a bookish nerd and which i mean kind of actually worked um but anyway uh so it was just it was a nice way of redoing that and coming up with something different for finn to see um and it was nicely complimented by the fact that that day he saw ice king was simon petroff Mm -hmm. which was a would have been just beautiful and wonderful anyway but we had broke his crown last week so we got to see actual simon well, not actual Simon, but like the crown's yeah. remnant of Simon. But then he he turned the Ice King into Simon, and then my heart broke a little bit again. <laughs> and yeah, that was great. I just I really I I really enjoyed um just all of it basically um yeah no it was just really really great and just another nice continuation of what the show's been doing since it came back from its long break of these very kind of. Um, emotionally interesting and focused episodes that they've been giving Finn in particular. Um, it since the whole um, Bad Jubies, Angel Face, President Porpoise mm-hmm. run of episodes that they've been really focused on some a sense of maturity basically, and that's been really really great and really interesting to watch and really focused, which has been fun to see. Well, then I feel safe uh, guessing that your week in genre goes to Adventure Time. It does go to Adventure Time, and I'm like kind of like cheating and looking ahead at some um, titles for upcoming episodes. And oh my god, Kate, there's an episode called Lady Rainicorn in the Crystal Dimension, and I cannot fucking wait for that. That sounds amazing. Yay! Yes! Yeah, Adventure Time also wins my weekend genre. Shield, uh, I enjoyed this week. Um, I didn't think it was spectacular, but I had fun with it. And, uh, you know, there are some other ones, but definitely for me this week. Again, Adventure Time. Now we'll take a break, 
ponder the possibilities of Lady Unicorn, Lady Rainicorn in the Crystal Dimension and come back with our weekend drama. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And she's always gone too long Anytime she goes away Wonder this time where she's gone Wonder if she's gone to stay Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And this house just ain't no home Anytime she goes away This week in drama, I'm going to talk briefly about the season four premiere of Banshee, something out of the Bible, before we both dive in with American Crime Story, the People vs. O.J. Simpson's finale, The Verdict. Then I'll talk again briefly about The Path, A Homecoming, and The Americans, Chloramphenicol. And we'll wrap things up with Limitless. Hi, my name is Rebecca Harris. So first up, Banshee started its final season. This week is only going to have eight episodes. Um, the first one, uh, you know, something out of the blue, we uh, something out of the Bible. We dive in two years after the events of the previous finale. And uh, I think that was that gap of time was a good idea. Um, the flashback structure we get in this premiere, I don't know if that's going to continue all season. Um, I'm down for some of it, less enthused about that being a season long, um, device, but, uh, I think, I think jumping forward some time makes sense, allows them to establish a new status quo, even if I don't buy all of it, like Proctor being the mayor. Um, I think, again, I think it was a a good call to give them some distance. I am invested in Rebecca's death, or her murder, I should say, uh, more than I thought I would be. And that's the main reason that I am interested in flashbacks, because I want to see more Rebecca, which wasn't necessarily the case after last season. So, well done, show. And uh, mostly, I'm finding myself more invested in the, you know, the headspace of where, uh, where Hood is well not really hood but where he is right now uh that that sequence of him you know contemplating suicide as he thinks about all the people he's lost over the three seasons and one episode of the show uh was very effective and um i think that you know especially with job still not accounted for um and still a wild card there's there's a you know emphasizing that loss emphasizing him as a force of destruction that you know he wants to try to atone for or or just make there be something positive that comes out of his time there um which is not in the episode that's all me inferring things but um i I like that that dynamic and that uh contrast and i think it's important to you know show a series memory for that because they they like to kill people on this show so it's nice when they remember that they have killed people on this show and they've killed a lot of them and they've killed a lot of allies of our of our protagonists. So um, just that little shout out to them worked well. Uh, Job's not allowed to be dead because he's too amazing and too fabulous to be dead. So uh, I'm looking forward to the eventual return, eventual return of Job, uh, preferably by the end of the season in ridiculous, amazing uh, wig and getup. Um, but I don't know if that'll be possible, given, given what theoretical 
crap he's been dealing with while captured somewhere for the last two years. But, um, yeah, I had forgotten the way that the last season had ended with Job getting kidnapped so or getting taken off. So I'm actually much more invested in him than I am in many of the other characters. We'll see what they do with these last eight episodes. But I will, you know, I probably won't check in every week, but I wanted to just say a few things about the premiere. Um, and people can go check out the weekly Under the Hood podcast from former co-host Sean Coletti and friend of the show Les Chapel. And joining them this season is uh, Randy Dankovich. Um, and you can find that over at TV Roundtable's website. I think it's tvroundtable.com. So uh, if you, you know, former co-host Sean Coletti, if you want to know, you know, more in-depth thoughts on on Banshee, that's, you know, they're, they're going to be doing episodes every week. So that's where you can go check it out. We probably won't check in on it every week here because, Noel, you do not watch Banshee. You do not get that channel. No, and I've never actually seen a single second of Banshee either. Like, I've never yeah. watched, like, a clip of it. I've never seen an episode of it. No, nothing. I've, I... That's why I was like, I'm not going to try to have Noel understand what I'm saying. There's too much backstory. No. I'm going to dive I'm... in. <laughs> no, like, Corey, like, I mean, Corey reviews it, uh, has been reviewing it for a couple of years at TV.com, and he was working on his review of the premiere while he was here with me last week. And he was just like, this is this is really good. There was this weird thing with a vise and a guy's head in it. And I just went... Yeah, I, I, I don't think I need to watch that show, but thanks for letting me know, Corey, because <laughs> that sounds disgusting. Yep. <laughs> yep, there's a guy's head in a vice, and there's Nazis, and there's former Nazis, but that still have Nazi tattoos all over their body, because it's, like, kind of too late. Yeah, once right. Once you already I mean, have the tattoos. That's, just, that's a really long process to get all those removed. Yeah, so, and, and expensive, and he doesn't have the money for that. Um, but anyways, that is that is Banshee. Um, let's talk about American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson, and its finale, The Verdict. What did you think about this finale? And uh, did it live up to, you know, I, I feel like the last episode was, at least at that point, our favorite of the, of the season so far. How did The Verdict play off of that for you? I think The Verdict is really emblematic of, especially the show with after, like, it got done with Race Card and Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Um, in terms of just how wonderfully it handled being big and focusing on the trial and dealing with how the trial was spilling out in a lot of places. And it's just, the show as a whole, but and the finale in general, I think just really encapsulated how startlingly good um, The People versus O.J. Simpson ended up being. And how surprised, I think, um, we all were at the fact. I mean, I still kind of can't get over the fact that this show is as good as it has been. Um, Mainly because, like everyone else, when they announced this, we went, oh, that sounds like a terrible idea. (laughs) And now I'm just like, wow, Noel, you were an idiot, because this was great. And I think Verdict is... It's... It's legitimately the first time that I felt like Cuba Gooding Jr. was able to do stuff. And Mm -hmm. that I felt like I was actually appreciating what he was doing um, as OJ. And I'm not even sure I still know. Like, at this point, I know what everyone else was doing. And I still am not entirely sure that I know what Cuba Gooding Jr. was doing with OJ. And I think that's the point is that that the show's idea of what oj simpson is is just this big enigma 
And I think that's a really interesting decision to make. Um, and we can talk about this. Um, we de- I definitely want to talk about like the last, not the last scene, but the last images that we get. Um, where we talk up, where the show fills us in on where everyone is. Um, but what did you think about, uh, the verdict and kind of like the show and yeah. So yeah, man, no, just tell me, what'd you think? For me, it was a bit, uh, it, it, because of where they placed the verdict in the episode, mm-hmm. it, it, it was a very lengthy denouement for me. Okay. And maybe that's that. because I... I already knew everything. <laughs> well, we all already knew. <laughs> no, no. What I mean is I had already looked into where are all these people now? Oh, okay. What happened to them after? Like, I had actively looked into that because um, that was really in, like, lots of people had write, written those, you know, thing pieces or listicles or whatever um, already. So that was very easy information to find. So um, because of that, watching them, the various characters respond to everything, react to everything was... Um, a little less interesting to me, but, um, I don't know how you would have done it differently. Cause I think they were very aware that a lot, though not all, cause I've heard from a few of the people watching this already know the verdict. So I think it's wise that they didn't stretch that out and, and have that feel like the linchpin of the, the last episode. Right. Um, they, they let each of the sides, you know, each of the, the prosecution and the, and the defense, have their moments to live in hope, and then they they give the verdict um, in what feels like an interminable scene as they just keep reading things before they get to the verdict. <laughs> but um, I think it also makes sense because, like you say, it is such a big show t- touching on so many different topics and with so many characters that have gotten a really close treatment. So they don't want to forget characters right in the last episode they want to like it's you know it's lord of the Rings syndrome where they want to say goodbye to every single character because they've you know been so interested in them at some point in this 10 hour long process so um i think it makes sense but what it for me it was just sort of like if i if 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 i were watching this like binging like three episodes a night or something over the course of a week it would feel very appropriate when mm-hmm. I'm tuning in for the last episode going, oh, I look at one more episode. I hope it's awesome. And like, it was really good, but it was much more subdued, I guess. Right. And I think I was okay with subdued mainly because the quiet big moments just worked so well for me. Like, um, Kardashian- oh my God, Sarah Paulson. Right. Holding the, 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 the verdict or whatever on her kids. Yes. Ugh. No, no, it's devastating. And even stuff like, her and Kardashian exchanging a look across the hallway afterward and just like the and the gut wrench of watch Kardashian just fully like committing to the idea that, yeah, my best friend killed my other best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this sucks. And it more than sucks. It's just downright horrible for him. And just so like a lot of those like really quiet type of things or even the shows the shows like we talk about how everyone knows like the use uh knows the verdict for the most part um i ha- i had a friend who teaches high school and a lot of her students didn't realize that this was a true crime dramatization of a non-fictional <laughs> event um they didn't 
they thought O.J. Simpson had just gone to jail for trying to rob some, some steal back some of his sports memorabilia. Weren't fully aware of this. Um, <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so that a lo- so much of what happens in this episode is interesting in that, and it's in the show in general, but especially within the confines of this episode, is that like a like the Americans or um, Mad, uh, Mad Men, is that that's that's kind of smug sense of superiority that when we get with hindsight, um, is deployed really well here because it's not smug. It it the show very much prevents you from feeling smug about Johnny Cochran feeling victorious in the fact that President Clinton is on national television talking about crime and specifically talking about police profiling of African-Americans and all this stuff. And he's like, it's done. It's finished. We've done something. And this was it. This was the moment that I'd been working for my entire life. And it's 1995 and everything's going to be better. And then you go, (laughs) oh, well, fuck. We're sorry, Johnny. Um, But yeah, that, that did not, that did not happen. And we don't get to feel smug about that development. We don't get to feel secure in our knowledge about what happened after and during this trial. Instead, so much of what this show ended up being about, even like when people kind of railed against the show having that large Kardashian cold open, but that was all we got. They disappeared after that. Mm-hmm. But it that was, was like their in-depth scene. Right, that was it. But I mean, so much of what the show did was show how this trial set everything else up for where we are now in a lot of ways just like it's making a very like to borrow like the to borrow from like some some theories just like this great white man theory but like this great trial theory that this one thing unspooled everything else and which isn't accurate but at the same time it's like an encapsulation of so much of where our concerns were in 1995 And we haven't changed at all, or things have just gotten worse, things have gotten better, but they're all still part and parcel connected to this in some weird tangential way that that the show's trying to tell us. And I think that's just really big and ambitious for a show where it's really easy to look at what Travolta's doing as camp and go, there's just so many different layers, basically, that the show is operating in that I'm just shocked and grateful that it managed to pull all of it off as well. Yeah. It did. Let's talk about those last shots. I think that was so powerful. And so um, it, it really shows where the perspective of the show is coming from and having it end with the Goldman's and not with anything else was really powerful. I thought, no, it was, like, really powerful. Um, Todd Vanderwerf over at Vox made the point, and I had, like, realized it, like, when I watched the episode, um, but then kind of forgotten about it until I read his review um, a little bit after the episode aired, um, or the next day, I think, um, was the fact that the show had never depicted them, really, mm-hmm. at all. And that's it's such a big thing for the show to avoid Make the not avoid, make the conscious decision not to do that, and then have them be the last images that we take away from the show is a really big, bold statement that mm-hmm. 
even within the text of the show, they got lost in all of this. And then the show corrects basically the 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 its presentation of history and even its sense of how we perceive the trial by saying, oh, no, 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 um, remember these two people involved? And while the show has had the Goldmans in the show, they've always been off to the side. Yeah, sidelines. they've been in every court scene. Right. But they've never had agency. They've never had a perspective. Ito's had more perspective yeah. than the Goldmans yeah. have been granted. And so ending with um, the Goldmans and with um, Nicole is just huge. It's insane. Not It's not insane. It's just, it's big and bold and really compelling and demonstrated that it really understood itself. Yeah. And So just a yeah, shoe in for all the awards, right? No, totally shoe in for all the awards. I mean, we kind and of... deservedly so. Right, and we did you and I discuss the fact that I mean, just the show figuring out who it's going to put forth for best actor in a and best supporting actor in, in the miniseries or movie category is just going to be a disaster. Yep, because <laughs> it's going to be a fucking disaster. <laughs> I haven't been so pleasantly surprised about a show since Hannibal. Yeah, right. And yeah, it it's just been tremendous television, really compelling television, and a great, for me at least, a really great jumping off point for so many conversations that I've had with uh, family and friends, who many of whom weren't watching this. And so I'm like, no, no, there's no J show. You got you to check it out. And every person I've talked to, very different political spectrum, uh, you know, like ages, like all, like a wide swath of people, everyone I've talked to and, and encouraged to check out the show that has have all gotten hooked immediately and really loved the show um so it's it's allowed a lot of conversations and uh i appreciate that as well oh you're so lucky i've been i've been like pushing the show on a few folks and no one's no one's picked it up um mainly because everyone i know um is like really busy or they don't have cable (laughs) that'll do it that that will do it (laughs) well I'm really looking forward to, you know, if they continue, if they their plan to, to do some, uh, an, a season, the next season on uh, Katrina. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to that and, and to how they handle a, a very different kind of story. Yes. With less of a straightforward narrative, you know. Yes. And that it will be less documented because it's hard not to be less documented than the O.J. Simpson trial. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry I'm laughing, but I mean that's just such a wonderful point <laughs> about the documentation of the O.J. Simpson trial. Yeah. Any final thoughts on American Crime Story? Um, if he's not going to be in season two, um, I want every show to hire Sterling K. Brown immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want him to be in season two. Uh, do you think that they're going to carry over like some of the cast, not all of the cast, but I'm, I'm presuming. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just magically assuming that Sarah Paulson's going to do this because that's what she does is she does Ryan Murphy shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I just, the, the actors were all so well served yeah. by the material and the writers. So, I mean, unless there's something we don't know about other opportunities that come their way or right. like the conditions on set or something. Sure. Shout out to the delightful dragging going on over at the hundred this past week. Oh, That's all I'll say about that. This, 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 the drama continues over there, but um, unless there's something we don't know, I mean, why would you not want to come work with these writers and directors again? Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, 
I'm everyone like like we said everyone's going everyone who gets nominated is going to if you're nominated and you beat out your competition because again that supporting actor category is going to be just a mess uh you're gonna get an emmy congratulations sarah paulson on your emmy um well in advance <laughs> yeah. because you're going to get one and if you don't i'm going to scream bloody murder <laughs> i agree and we'll we'll talk a little bit more of this maybe when we get closer to emmy time and we can have fun with that element of it but let's move on for now to the rest of the weekend drama i wanted to mention the path briefly this is uh the third episode of homecoming kathleen turner shows up in this episode as cal's uh alcoholic abusive mother um really you know i wasn't I, I had heard that she was in it but i had forgotten so just it was a lovely surprise to see her turn up she's really good she works really well with you dancy in this episode and uh i also continue to like i <laughs> hawk the teenage son goes full lloyd dobler but i mean in a better way because he doesn't show up and wake up everyone in your house and your neighborhood with a boom box and like just kind of stand there creepily he gets like in his love eyes. sorry go on <laughs> his love interest the mom's irresponsible uh and they don't have they, the power's got been shut off to their house so he shows up with the generator so that it, and like it and plugs in gives them power at their house and runs off theoretically before because he doesn't want to get credit he pretends he doesn't know about it uh-huh. <laughs> so he's like he's like the the backup generator fairy for for the, for the family and you get to have power ding with the magic wand um which is so much a step above lloyd dobler as far as i'm concerned anyways that was adorable um I, the main issue i'm having with the path right now and i got into this in my review over at the av club is that they have not they i think they actually actively don't want us to know how much Cal actually believes or Sarah or uh, Eddie. And the trouble is that they talk about their faith, but they only talk about their faith with each other and they're all lying to each other. So, uh, or when there are other people there, and this is obviously a very, um, it's a very talkative community. So there's so much, there's so much performance in this community of talking to like a group of initiates and clearly they're, they're selling their philosophy to the group. So like, it's not like Eddie's going to say something bad about Myrist movement in front of a group of initiates. So I can't actually trust anything he's saying when he's talking to them because he knows he's being watched. So when we have characters doing things that like endanger the their connection to the church or like would would strengthen that i don't have any context with which to view it so when cal is doing something it could either be completely for personal benefit because everything he's saying that should benefit the church also specifically benefits him and because i don't know what he's telling himself he believes and why he says he's doing it because I've never, you know, the, the actors have not convinced me of that. And the material hasn't really lent itself to that. When I never get to see them have at least what they think is an honest conversation with somebody or with themselves about this stuff. Then when they're doing things in relation to it, I just don't care. I just don't, like, I, I can't connect to the movement. So if something's going to help or hurt the movement, I don't have an in with that. So, like, if, they, if at least somebody thinks that they're helping people or they think that they think they're helping people or something like that, then I can be invested when something bad happens. 
or if they know that they're manipulating these people, then I can, you know, enjoy like their the, the like the puppet mastery of it of it all. But without any sense of who of what the characters actually believe or what they think that they believe, what they're telling themselves they believe. And like to compare something like like Breaking Bad, Walter White says he's doing all of this stuff for his family. And he thinks he is, at least at first, even if I disagree. Um, but without n- knowing what he thinks he's doing, I don't have a lens through which to view what he's doing and, and to relate to that and to respond to it and to think about it. And so that's that's a problem I'm having with the show right now. Um, the, the few characters who do seem more sincere and open and honest in their conversations are Hawk and Sarah's parents. And those scenes are much more effective for me. But when you have Eddie actively lying to everyone around him because he's scared and he's lost his faith. And when you have Cal actively lying to everyone around him and you have Sarah so focused on Eddie's uh, imagined betrayal that she is acting out of character or what seems like it's supposed to be out of character, it's really hard to get a foothold in. So I'm having trouble with the path, um, but there's a lot of actually really good conversation happening over at the AV clips and like really long responses from people. So uh, I encourage people if they're enjoying the show to go over there and, and comment and kind of continue the conversation because at least it seems like we're starting to foster a bit of a discourse back and forth. So that's kind of neat. That is neat. And and people are discussing their faith in the show in a way that people aren't discussing their faith on the show. See, I'm really clever. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I would agree with that statement. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the next one, which is The Americans, uh, another one that you don't watch, Noel, but uh, Chloramphenicol. Uh, and last chance to pause or skip forward to the next segment because there will be significant spoilers here you have been warned look in the show notes there's a timestamp there click forward to the next track on the m4a okay so they killed uh, nina in the head here and um that is frustrating to me because i want to know why the hell i spent the last two seasons uh or i should say the last at least full season if not season and a half following that character if they were going to just kill her unceremoniously we spent a lot of time with that character, completely um, separated from everyone else. And it seems like they're heading to a place where then now Oleg will find out about this and uh, will turn uh, turn on the country or whatever and, and, rep- and become an asset for Stan is at least what I'm anticipating. Like that, like why we are spending time with that character. But it's just frustrating to me because it has been seasons now with her off in Russia in a prisoner camp completely separated from all the rest of the action and she doesn't need to be there we don't need to be watching those scenes with her to still be watching scenes of people responding to her being gone um so that is a bit frustrating I'm gonna need it to materialize into something more relevant or like her scenes that we've already spent the time we've already spent to to turn into something more relevant soon to not be very frustrated with with that or with the writers for again spending that time when they could have spent it elsewhere but this episode is really really uh good the performances uh are fantastic but when we there's a health scare noel with the jennings basically they think they have this really bad virus so they have to like quarantine themselves off and dylan baker's heavily involved in it and frank lagell is there too um so so it's a lot of really great material we get some flashbacks to uh elizabeth's mother um and and uh, a health scare with her where you know she thought they thought the mom would die um so th- this was all very effective um really strong performances kind of pushes uh, thoughts from Elizabeth and Philip together about like where 
what they would want to have happen if one or the other of them gets this infectious disease and dies basically overnight. Um, yeah, really affecting materials, very strong performances, good direction. And um, I'm looking forward to where to where this is all heading because I don't think it's somewhere good. Well, it's the Americans. uh, It's probably not anywhere good. Has anything on this show led someplace good? Well, everybody was talking on Twitter about like this big death on the Americans. And so when I'm watching this, I'm like, well, they're not going to kill the main characters. So what is it? You know, so I was starting to wonder if they were going to have Paige kill Pastor Tim or something like if that if it was going to be something like some crazy twist because they were sort of like oh shocking ending I was like are they going to do that that would be insane that would not fit with the characters I mean I have tr- I have faith in the show that they would make it work but like so so based on compared to everything I was thinking it could be it actually ended up being much more straightforward <laughs> but um I am intrigued with now that I have that idea in my head um I'm actually kind of really intrigued by what. Whereas what's coming next with, with um, uh, the other characters, we get some really great stuff for Martha as well. Uh, her talking about her relationship with Clark um, in a way to one of her colleagues at work who is there on, out on a date with her so that Stan can search her apartment. Um, but yeah, that, that was a, another really great scene uh, for Alison Wright, who continues to kill it as Martha. Um, but yeah. Strong episode, one of the, I think the best of the season so far, and I'm looking forward to what comes next. So uh, I will wrap up my Americans conversation there, and let's talk Limitless, because it was another big Limitless episode. My name is Rebecca Harris. We've seen, we now have seen Rebecca on, e, on NZT. What did you think? Um, surprisingly kind of um, low-key for her to be on NZT, especially after we got that episode with, um, what's his name and his buddies on NZT, um, whose name I can't remember. Which is Desmond Harrington? Yes. Um, but um, I also, I think that the low-key nature of it is appropriate because she's not looking to, like, experience NZT in the way that they were looking to experience NZT. She was looking to use NZT as a way to deal with this problem that she was having with Brian. And um, which is how Brian uses NZT as a way to solve problems. And I thought that that was a really good choice for the show to make. And on top of the choice already to give Rebecca the perspective and to give her the voiceover and to give her the other Rebecca's and her dad and Brian's explanation for how NZT and why NZT, a brain on NZT, I should say, creates those things so people can work out their extra stuff, basically. Because NZT is giving them the ability. And I just went, that's great. That's an explanation for this. Even though it didn't need one. Because it was just a good storytelling device. He's like, yeah, and I haven't really thought about it too much. He's like, that's perfect. Yes. Enough hand waving, enough explanation. Well done. Yeah, no, that's exact. that was exactly my response. I was just like, I didn't need that explanation, show. But I'm not upset that you gave it to me. Because it was a good explanation. <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, no, I enjoyed, um, again, I just enjoyed a lot of this, um, yeah, I, I just, I'm excited to see, as always, what the show's gonna do next week. Um, I say that every week after the show, (laughs) but it's so true. There's only two episodes left. Right, there are, but I'm, I'm just- Not next week, by the way. Oh, gosh. 
You know, and uh, just, uh, anyway, uh, we still haven't renewed it. <laughs> well, I was I was trying not to not to rub that rub that rub no, salt okay. into that. I, I deserve it. <laughs> I, that, that's, I still yeah, I still deserve that. Um, but yeah, I, I I really liked the the change in in perspective for this episode, and that that didn't necessarily mean that we were going to have the same visual cues or have the same. Uh, visual approach like so when we get the sans episode it, they go for this you know this comic book this really distinct style to it which was really great really enjoyed um but they don't do that again for rebecca because rebecca's not sans they do it differently and I, I also like the performance quite a lot i think you know what we're getting from jennifer carpenter here shows like i, I was very glad when it turned out to be a ruse so like it's not like nzt makes everyone a killer um but she's different on nzt and I like the performance from her to really show that. Uh, I love that Nas like, sods her immediately. And I also completely bought this one episode. They're cool now. Like, what would normally take at least three, if not like five to ten episodes to repair that relationship, they managed to believably have happen in one episode because of the perspective that the NZT gave her. Um, so I was actually really glad that they, it allows them to reset in a way that I can buy as an emotion, as an earned emotional thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's such a great point, Kate, um, that because she can trust him because she's on NZT, so she can do the Pinocchio nose and just like basically be a human lie detector on him. And he's coming clean about everything because he knows he can't hide anything because she's on NZT, so he's explaining everything that he possibly can and it's your point that this immediately allows them to reset is really key um and i i think we should talk a little more about like jennifer carpenter's performance because i mean you 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 just mentioned a little bit but her her brain's working so fast and she's not used to it working that fast but she's also all her fbi training is like happening quicker now so the idea of like the shooting and shooting a guy through the through the telescopic sight of a sniper rifle is badass Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) i love brian just like this is not fair it's it's not fair (laughs) with you on nzt you're already so much smarter than me yeah (laughs) but i mean it's 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 more it's such a hummingbird type of performance because she's She's hitting everything that Rebecca would already be able to do, but she's talking a little bit quicker. She's thinking, like, 80 steps ahead. So, like, the whole thing with the blood and the barbecue sauce on the thing, and immediately she's just, like, it's a different tone that Carpenter's hitting. But the other key thing is, like, Brian shows up right there. She says sauce, and he's just... They turn at the same time to leave. Like, it's on a dime type of thing. And it's just such good staging and good performance work from everyone, really, but especially Carpenter, that you... You just... It just gets better, like, the more you think about it and the more you, like, you kind of watch her build this idea of what Rebecca would be like on NZT. And what, basically, a really well-trained FBI agent would be on NZT as opposed to what Brian is like on NZT. And I think that's I think that's really really interesting. And it's a night and like I said at the top, it was a really nice 
counterpoint to the bros on in the FBI bros on NZT who are going to go play basketball. And it's just like, guys, there are way better things for you to do with this. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought it was a really, a really necessary and smart conclusion to where a lot of the season has been bringing, bringing us. And it lets us then just have fun with the last two episodes while still, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm anticipating by the end of the finale, we will have completely reset. And now he's got the immunity shot again and everything's good. And the show can continue next season as normal. But the, that, end of episode understanding from uh rebecca of what this will cost brian and how willing he is to do that because at that point he's still they're both on nct at that point so you know so that's him you know it's it's not like he's come down and now he's real brian or whatever they, they do a good job of showing that brian on nct and brian not on nct aren't very different at least i don't think they are uh, the, you know, they, they, we see the different perspectives from him and the way that he could easily grow and become more isolated and more um, disconnected from his kind of goofier persona over time. Definitely that's something they've played with, uh, certainly with like Mora and Sands. But at least for me, he's not that really that different personality wise. But each of the other people we've seen take NZT really is. And I think that you know, getting us to the point where we can ha- just sort of have fun and like crazy adventure the last two episodes as we, you know, he's got to take down Sands and everything. Um, that'll be, a- that works really well, but it also allows us to get back to why is Brian special? Why is Brian our not, a- our-, our not a cop, our very special civilian who is at the center of this show? Um, instead of now that they know about this immunity thing, they could just give it to any of them and have any of them be their NCT guy. I it just I think it it's I think it's really smart and it lets us kind of put the emotional stuff to the side so we can just go all out for the finale. Right, which is um going to have an exclamation mark in the title, which is very exciting. And then two for the second one. Right, which what? is super appropriate, right? It is um, super appropriate. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to the finale and I'm interested to see how they basically wrap up this season. Um, I mean, Sans is like in custody, and he's in custody, mm-hmm. right? I'm not making that up. Yeah, no, okay. he's in custody. All right, that's what I thought. I was just like, I remember he, he, they 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 caught him. <laughs> they caught him, but I mean, he is is NZT in his system? Is he going to be able to just escape? He's got a whole team of people. I mean, I right. would be very surprised if he stayed in custody. Well, my thing is, is just like he's got a team now. So yeah. he he has his Legion of Doom. <laughs> Did you just say Legion of Doom? Stand by it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that there's some some there's one last shoe to drop that is going to be interesting. And the like I said last week, the shift to Sands kind of being like the last, at least for the moment, the last bad guy is really good for the longevity of the show since they still need to probably keep Mora working a little bit more for the show to continue but they can't eliminate him basically well what wins your week in drama i say uh knowing the answer it was totally that episode of the americans i didn't watch you made it sound really compelling and interesting and i'm pretty (laughs) sure that by proxy won my week in drama no no it was the verdict and uh the people versus oj simpson and yeah what about you 
I'm going to give it to the Americans, chloramphenicol, but I mean, very honorable mention to American Crime Story because it's been a fantastic season. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, as an individual episode, I, I'm going to give it to the Americans, but as what it means for the larger year of TV, I mean, come on. How do you not say American Crime Story? I don't know, but you did it anyway. Yeah, how did I do? How's that fence sitting? Um, Effective enough? Or do, you, do your thighs feel okay straddling that fence? Are you okay? You I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay, okay, but we should uh, move on before it gets a little too uncomfortable up here on this fence. So uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our special segment looking at it, it, doing a check-in on our 2016 TV resolutions. So we'll be right back after this. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik and Noel Kirkpatrick. And as we said at the top of the show, this week it's on the DVD shelf. You know, we're headed into the fourth month of the year. It's a it's a quarter of the way through already. Noel, I'm already having end of year fears. <laughs> already? Protect me. Save me from myself. Um, but we thought it was a good time to check in on our 2016 TV resolutions. And I'm going to throw it to you first, Noel. For our listeners who may not remember, what was your resolution for 2016 like TV-wise? Uh, so my resolution for 2016 TV-wise was to watch more television documentaries. So I decided to really focus like my scope because i mean that could be just basically any and everything in a lot of ways a lot of nonfiction programming and so i limited myself to three pbs programs basically to make this as manageable as possible so i started watching nova independent lens and american experience and and much like uh everyone else's new year's resolutions uh come the end of january i started to like lose myself a little bit um, I mostly chalked this up to the fact that it was really easy to keep up with these in January because... There was no TV? There was no TV on. It was awesome. Um, right. There was, there was nothing else on. And it... So that made it actually really easy to keep up with these, um, for the most part. And then come February, um... I ended up watching quite a few episodes before we recorded. So that I would sound and look better <laughs> than, than I actually was. But basically, even though all three shows were off in March, I didn't watch any of the stuff that I recorded in February until basically Sunday, Monday, and today okay. when we're recording. Um, but I'm kind of caught up since they didn't air that much. They didn't air anything in March and they only each of them only aired a few episodes 
in February's with the exception of Independent Lens, which I still have two, maybe three episodes as of tonight <laughs> to get through. Um, but no, it's been really, apart from me slacking off, um, it's been really, really interesting. Um, and it reminded me of basically why I didn't like Nova in high school, which is that it's not super interesting. Um, it's very much geared for like education, like use in the classroom type stuff. While it can have interesting topics, sometimes I just kind of get a little sleepy. Like I'm in my old, like I'm in a 10th grade science class and there's a substitute (laughs) Yeah, and I'm just like the lights are off, and it's it's kind of it's kind of warm in the classroom, and everyone's kind of like doodling, and I'm just like, this is interesting. It is. Stay awake, Noel. Stay awake. And so that's that's kind of what's happening with um some of my um experiences with Nova, which is a terrible thing to say, because I'm learning a lot about like they had this great episode about uh, how our brains work with memory called Memory Hackers, and, like, how our brains are even really susceptible to being given false memories. And it's just like, that's really interesting. And I took a nap, like, 20 oh. minutes into the episode. I, like, ended up, like, watching watching some of the stuff I missed and then, like, kind of rewind, rewinding and going back and forth on it. What's prompting that? Is it the presentation? Is it, like, just the your specific associations with that show? I think it's partially a specific um, specific associations with that show, but I think also some of it is just the fact that um, there's there's just the narration of it is like very even keeled, and sometimes it tries to be really exciting even if it's not really exciting. Um, so, like one of the earlier episodes I watched in January was about uh, using rocks to determine how life evolved basically which is really interesting and it was mostly based on this one scientific study so they used his model uh the scientist's uh, model to map explain his theory basically and this is an uncommon uh, an episode that will air uh this air this week or um is supposed to air this week depending on your pbs affiliate schedule is called vikings on earth and it's entirely about this one paper and using vikings and satellite archaeology to find uh settlements and that sort of thing really fascinating stuff but it's just the presentation of it can just feel a little stilted sometimes and not as exciting as i think that they want it to come off as and some of their more historical stuff like uh they did uh one about um tunnels and explosives in world war one and that was actually really really interesting i stayed awake for that even though I'm not a huge military history person. In fact, I find most lots of military history really dull. But that episode was just really interesting. And yeah, so I think a lot of it just has to do with the presentation and also just my associations with it. Okay. Well, because it, it sounds to me like, from what you're saying, it feels very NPR-y? Yes, it is, it is very NPR-y. And in a super educational way of that NPR can sometimes be not in the really, really interesting life, uh, lifestyle type feature type stuff Mm -hmm. or topical political commentary that independent lens does really great with. Like I'm awake for every episode of independent lens. I even, it's probably my favorite of the three shows that I picked up and even if it's something I'm really familiar with, like they did a um, a short film on uh, Misty Copeland, 
uh, the ballerina. Who is awesome. Who's terrific and amazing. And I know her story pretty well from profiles and 60 Minutes and that sort of thing. But I was still like totally engaged in their film about her. So it's just one of those things where I think just the over the overemphasis on like educational sciencey stuff kind of like makes me dr- a little drowsy, which isn't a knock against the show. It has everything to do with me, uh, but I don't. I feel like Nova is very much for certain audiences, and even though I'm going to keep watching it because I'm I'm going to get through this season because they're ending with something called bombing Hitler's super gun and who doesn't want to learn <laughs> about Hitler's super gun <laughs> so um and that's in May so I'm very May sweeps even PBS is worried about May sweeps everyone and they don't even have commercials and so I'm totally there for that so I'm going to keep going with it and I'll probably keep going with it even after their 43rd season ends <laughs> yeah and so, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, Nova's like the, my least favorite of the three, but I'm still going to keep up with it. Is, is watching and you know, actively carving out more time, at least if you look at your year so far, yeah. not necessarily every week, but in general for a documentary and nonfiction, is that affecting the way you're viewing other programming? Yes. Um, especially like in January when I was doing a really good job of keeping up with stuff. Uh, I was prioritizing independent lens and American experience above everything else. And now it's one of those things where I'm just like, oh, I really want to do... I have two episodes of independent lens on my DVR. Well, no, three. Uh, One of them is about the Black Panthers, and there are a couple of other ones on there, but I've been wanting to watch the Black Panthers one for a while because I've heard really great things about it. But it's 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, but I could do two hour-long episodes that Kate and I are actually going to discuss instead. Or I have a show I need to review instead. Or mm. I have something that's more water coolery in terms of engaging with people on Twitter. And I'm just like, well, ah. So I end up deprioritizing this nonfiction stuff because of those three things, basically. You, you know an easy solution to that. What's that? Have me watch it, and we can talk <laughs> about that. That is a good point. Um, I should do that. You should do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it's just one of those things where I'm just like, I really should watch this, and I'm really interested in this stuff. They had a – one of the things I caught up on was um, about uh, Whitney Young. Uh, do you know who Whitney Young is? I'm just going to Whitney Frost. <laughs> Uh, so I didn't, I had heard Whitney Young's name before, but through this documentary, I learned that Whitney Young was, was a major American civil rights leader during the sixties uh, and seventies, but his focus was predominantly within, uh, working through things like, uh, corp- corporations and job and that sort of thing. And it was really, really fascinating. And yeah, this was, this was American experience. This was, uh, the power broker, which, my PBS affiliate aired out of order, I think. But it was really good. Anyway. Mm-hmm. And it, I got to learn stuff. And I mean, I get to learn stuff through all of this. And that's just the best thing about it, really. Is that I get to learn all these different things. Um, even like... I mentioned this um, a couple of weeks ago when it aired. But their Independent Lenses Autism and Love documentary was basically just this really moving and heartfelt look at people on the spectrum trying to navigate 
what it meant to love and have relationships. And it was just really fascinating and really interesting. And also just really heartbreaking in a lot of places. And I, that episode has still stuck with me, even though it aired in January 11th. I keep going back to that episode in my brain and thinking about it. And I want to keep thinking about it because it's easily going to be something that's on my end of year list um, because it was just so interesting. But another thing that uh, Independent Lens did was um, called Chuck Norris versus Communism. Uh, which, okay. Right, but it's it's got a great title, so you've got a hook. But then it's about basically pirating video. Uh, I heard about action, this. Pi- yes, pirating videos in uh, behind the Iron Curtain during the 1980s, and it's just it was so interesting because they had like reenactments that were kind of staged, like a 1980s type of type of action flick, minus all the minus, but it had the intrigue to it as well. But it dealt with, like, uh, people coming together to watch it and paying, basically, money to watch it for whomever had, like, VHS players and that sort of thing. But it also focused on the folks who were making the bootlegs and the woman who was doing all the dubbing for these movies. Who is badass. Yes, a total badass. And people were talking about her and just, like, talking about what they thought she looked like. And then t- complaining about the fact that there were some tapes that were done by this other guy who they didn't like nearly as much. And we, th- both of them were still alive, so they come in towards the end of the uh, film, and we get to meet them, and they talk about their stories. But it's just so interesting. And something that, I mean, you just don't think about in a lot of ways, but you think about how that kind of soft, illegal bootleg power n- made a difference in at least politically speaking, and help these people get through a really a really hard, difficult time, even if these are very weird, now very weird 80s action movies and filled with all sorts of weird Reagan politics and that sort of thing. Uh, but, I mean, it was a big deal then, and it was a way for them to experience a different world and different perspective, past the propaganda and everything. And yeah, so it was just it was just really really interesting, and I've enjoyed watching Independent Lens more than anything else, as I've said twice now, <laughs> or more than that. But it's just been really compelling stuff, and I think the reason why Independent Lens sticks out to me more than uh, American Experience, which is also has been really really great, and I want to talk about that a little bit in just a second. But the main reason that Independent Lens is so interesting is that each week is something very, very, very different from the week before it. Uh, so even based on the title, I just don't know what I'm going to get. Um, sometimes, I mean, you get really cool little names like Chuck Norris and Love. And other times you get something called East of Salinas, which deals with children of immigrants, uh, some some in the country illegally, who are going to school and the struggles that those kids face trying to get an education in the United States and how schools try to help those kids as much as they can and how certain teachers help as even more than they can. And you just, it it gives a really nice perspective on things that you just weren't aware of. And I think that's the big thing that I'm taking away from Independent Lens is that sometimes these stories, because A, they're true, but because they're just so radically different from what I'm seeing on fictional programming and scripted programming, that they're just immediately more compelling and more interesting and more thought-provoking than some of the scripted program that I get to watch each week. And 
getting to like your resolution, I think independent lens is something that you may want to pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, just from a perspective of wanting different representations and different ideas of representation in your uh, wheelhouse. And the other nice thing about these is that even if you miss them, uh, you can watch them on your PBS affiliate station oh, okay. for free. Nice. So, yeah, right. Great thing about public television, right? Mm-hmm. And Which is why we should fund it as a country. Yes, and do more to fund it. Not only, like, through our own donations, which is where public television gets most of its funding. through the NEA, which is a beautiful thing. Right. So through government funding and that sort of thing. Sorry, we're getting slightly soapboxy, but, you know, you should be used to it by now, listeners. Yeah, this is not a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, this is not a surprise. So, yeah, no, so that's one of those things where Independent Lens is just one of those really interesting, thought-provoking looks at topics I would have never thought about and known about. And it's sort of like reading, it's sort of the equivalent of reading a thoughtful magazine profile piece, basically, in a lot of ways. And I think that's what the most interesting thing about it is. What has stood out to you? Uh, what have been your episodes that have most stuck with you for American Experience? Uh, so American Experience, I came in as their 28th season was starting. So I timed it actually really perfectly. So they've done four episodes that... No, they've done five episodes, and I've watched four of them. Um, so they did one on Bonnie and Clyde, which uh, did not stick with me very much, um, mainly because I was pretty well-versed in the story of Bonnie and Clyde um, and eh, didn't have a huge amount of interest in them. Uh, the next two episodes, though, were called The Mine Wars and Murder of a President. All right, so Mine Wars was about uh, the West Virginia coal mine workers during trying during the uh, 19 teen, the, the early 1900s and the 19 teens trying to form unions and just Kate <laughs> this was insane this was a two-hour documentary about this very the state's attempts to make for these coal miners in West Virginia to form a union and I mean, so figures like Mother Jones show up and this sort of thing, and they talk about Mother Jones, who's just endlessly interesting and just a terrific, inspiring woman. And But then it just gets weirder and weirder as they delve into the politics of what people did to prevent the unions from happening. Kate, we, the, we bombed unions with airplanes. Did you know this? I feel like I did. I'm not surprised, and I should be. So I feel like I did at one point. But as a member of a union and a strong believer in unions, uh, I should have remembered that. Right. Clearly, I I should watch this. Oh, it's so fascinating, Kate. Like, it's so, so fascinating. You totally should watch it. Set aside two hours. Watch this. It's amazing. And I just couldn't. It was. I turned it on. I was just like. I I was like, oh, God, it's two hours. I'm not going to be able to get through all of this because I have other stuff I need to watch right now. And then I just could not turn it off because it was just so interesting. And so, so... I was just learning so much. And I felt terrible. Like, I just... I didn't know that we had tested aerial bombers to, like, break up a union, basically. And that's just insane that that happened in this country. It's not insane. Well, it's slightly insane. It's not totally insane. United States. It's is, maddening. It's maddening, right? And I'm I'm saying this is someone from the South where forming a forming a union is almost impossible these days. Um, so no, it was just really really interesting. 
the third episode, uh, Murder of a President, uh, is about the life and death of uh, James Garfield. And I was just like, oh, I'm not going to... This was this was one where I was just like, I'm going to turn this off like halfway through, which was at the hour mark. I don't care about James Garfield. I'm not interested in any of this. I'm just, I'm going to give this a shot. And I watched all of it, Kate. Endlessly, endlessly, mm-hmm. endlessly interesting. Um, uh, he was someone who was shot twice. He's the fourth president to die in office. Uh, and he was shot by this guy named Charles Gateau. Uh, Gateau. I'm slightly butchering the pronunciation. But this guy was nuts, Kate. Like, he went looking for jobs. Um, he wrote a big pamphlet and delivered a speech about Garfield and went looking for a job after Garfield got elected. He thought Garfield knew who he was. And then he shot Garfield. And the most interesting thing that comes out of all of this, apart from how Garfield didn't even want to be president, he was at a contested convention and then ended up on the ballot and then won. <laughs> right? And yep. so he 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 gets shot. And the medical treatment primary doctor didn't know what he was doing. And just kind of kept him vaguely alive. But didn't want to admit that the guy's health, that Garfield's health was drastically declining. Because he didn't want to like lose his medical license and then be shamed. All this stuff. Just so insane. Even when another doctor came in and was just like, "This, we could have saved this man's life and you didn't do anything in your power to do this. And mm-hmm. so all this stuff um, about Garfield's uh, return to his home, like, people laid down train tracks because he was, and they moved him to a train car. And people, like, worked day and night to lay a train track right up to his house on a lakefront, Kate, so that he could die in this house looking over the lake. That's pretty intense. It's super intense. And there's these really interesting um, reenactments with a number of, like, semi-famous a number of, like, character actors uh, doing, like, work. And it's all really compelling. There's so much intrigue and power play in this that I, I was shocked and ashamed of myself that I was going to turn this off because it was just so interesting. And I didn't know anything about this. And now I'm just like, I need to know about more about James Garfield because this is really, really interesting. Um, the most recent episode uh, that was that aired prior to this week um, was about Leopold and Loeb, uh, which ran into the same thing that I ran into with uh, Bonnie and Clyde in which I just knew a lot about Leopold and Loeb. And so none of that was super, super interesting to me. Um, but it was still, for someone who didn't know anything about Leon Paul and Loeb, I think it would have been a really interesting uh, little do- short documentary about their trial specifically, because it focused mostly on uh, Darrow and the trial and just the insanity that that trial was of like two months worth of testimony, even though Darrow pled they both pled guilty but then Darrow's defense was entirely mounted on the their getting them not to be given the death sentence basically and that's what that trial was for two months was Darrow and the Chicago um the Chicago state's attorney um basically saying uh no uh we should be giving them the death penalty no we shouldn't be giving the death penalty and this went on for like two and a half months kate (laughs) just to decide that and it's just like that's insane but also really neat that 
I mean, our system at that time worked to the point where it was just like, oh, right, we're going to do two, two, two and a half months worth of testimony about whether or not these two people should be killed for killing a, like a 14-year-old and doing really horrible things to him. So, but no, so it's been really, really fascinating. Um, I don't know how many episodes um, American Experience does each season. Um, I think it differs from year to year, quite honestly. Um, yeah, it differs from year to year. Some some years it's seven, some years it's 12, some years it's 20. Uh, it just depends. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to see more American Experience. And I've been talking, like, excessively. <laughs> so, but I've been really enjoying it. So, um, tell me, tell me, please, about your efforts to watch, to seek out representational programming. So, my my resolution, because I'm about to sound really shitty here. My resolution was to make sure that every week I was watching at least one show. Okay. That passed the Bechdel test. Uh, that that did the like the race Bechdel test. Uh, the sexuality yeah. or gender representation Bechdel. There's a name for that one actually. Glad named its own like kind of corollary to the to the Bechdel. Um, but I don't I don't have the name of it in front of me. And uh, in January, that was really easy because Steven Universe was on. <laughs> And there weren't a bunch of other shows. So if Steven Universe hadn't been on, it would have been very easy for me to seek out new shows. And then all the shows came back, Noel, and I haven't mm-hmm. sought out new shows. So what I have found, what I've discovered in exploring, like, the stuff that we usually watch and the stuff that we that I watch that we don't usually talk about on the podcast, um, I watch a lot of shows about straight white people. Well, there's so many shows about straight white people. That's what most of the shows that I watch are. And um, you don't really get a sense of that, I think, until you actively stare at a list Mm -hmm. week after week, like we both have of all the stuff that we've watched of note that, you know, we can remember and can have a conversation about. And we go and, and you go, okay, this week, what on this list would have passed those things? Nothing. <laughs> okay, let's look at the next week. Nothing, um, because basically what I've what I've discovered is, regardless of the quality of the show or the genre of the show, either representation is a priority on that show or it is not. Mm-hmm. So for Steven Universe, for any episode of Steven Universe is gonna pass, uh, at the very least, sexuality backdells because of the fusion. <laughs> stuff uh and and certainly gen like they're all women and they're all amazing so it's gonna pass back Dell too um so that's just easy because that's important to rebecca sugar that's a big part of why she made the show um but most of the other shows that we talk about unless it's you know jane the virgin which is all about a latina family um unless it's you know london spy about uh, about gay men in London and getting caught up in espionage, um, unless it's part of the logline or in a very significant part of the show, there's probably not two characters of any given sub, you know, subgroup or, or minority to be able to have a conversation with each other to be able to pass 
gender and, and or, or I should say uh, sexuality uh, or um, or racial like versions of the Bechdel. So, you know, just the shows that pass this stuff. Basically, it's advent- it's it's a uh, Steven Universe. It's London Spy. It's um, I mean, obviously Jane the Virgin. But Underground. Underground, of course, yes. But most everything else, I'm ho- I'm holding out for it for there being a Bechdel passing, you know, like, or obviously mm-hmm. fresh off the boat, blackish. Again, if it's not baked into the premise, right? Like even a show, you know, like the Shannara Chronicles, you know, which I watched all of, shockingly, serious contender for the. Uh, um, uh, ringer award for show i watched too much of at the end of the year um there's one character who's bisexual but there's not another one who isn't straight so that i can have that show pass the test and they're all very very white on that show as well almost all of the characters um so so unless this is something that is baked into the premise of the show then i start seeking for I hope there are two women who talk to each other, which which is where shows like Supergirl come in, which is where, you know, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend can come in, though so much of the Paula and um, and, and Rebecca conversation on that show is all centered on Josh, that that doesn't actually always pass the Bechdel like one might hope it would. Um, and, and I do watch a lot of shows centered on women because of what I'm interested in, like younger a lot of younger is going to just take care of that week for me. But if I'm looking for underrepresented groups, either it's either it's a show actively focused on that concept and interested in showing different types of people of color, of gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, uh, queer characters, or it's not. And then that's not even getting into the hundred, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> but um, or, or you know, like or American Crime, you know, like uh, there there have been enough shows that I have watched that I believe I, I definitely average out to it. But I think I actually have stuck to my resolution uh, to make sure that I am watching shows that feature at ver- at the very least that pass the Bechdel that uh, feature you know uh, LGBTQ characters. Um, that kind of thing, at least one a week, but they're almost all white. And uh, it really is disappointing when you look at the volume of TV that we watch and how little of it actually tells a story other than a bunch of beautiful white people. Yes, it is. It's super depressing. Um, even you talking about it, I was trying to cycle through it in my head and I went to like popular shows and I just went, well, Arrow has Diggle, but the only two there's, black there's people the on that... There's the on Flash, but they're all related right. to each other. So... Right, that's what I was about to say. Diggle didn't get to talk to another black person until his brother showed up. And then Curtis is now in the Arrow cave, but they didn't really... Diggle didn't even, like, talk to him, but I think to say a couple of lines. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend has Josh and, and his whole family, so at yeah. least we're getting, you know, minority representation other than black people, yes. which is nice to see in those episodes. You know, yeah. and of course, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend also has uh, Daryl's fantastic storyline uh, coming out as bi, and so when we have him interacting with white Josh 
that would pass the sexuality backdell for the lack of a better word that I know is ex- out there. Please feel free to hit me up in the comments, listeners, about what I should be calling that. But it really is because, again, I just keep coming back to because of the volume of TV we watch. It should be easier. It should be easier. And it shouldn't involve having to seek out stuff that's, like you said, is the premise. Yeah. Like O.J. Simpson. <laughs> the trial of O.J. Simpson. Yes, that passes because it's baked into the premise. Correct. And even their second season, provided they continue, if they go through with the plan, I mean, it's baked into the premise with mm-hmm. what their second season, they said, was going to be. Um. Yeah, no, that's... There's not a, I mean, there's not a good answer for us as viewers, mm-hmm. apart from watching Looking a show. Primordi- priority to seek out. A, I still haven't watched watched Being Mary Jane, which I hear is amazing. Right, I've heard that too, and I haven't watched it, even though yes, five seasons it, in. Right, it's my Netflix. It's in my Netflix queue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know how often I turn on Netflix to watch something that isn't a Marvel movie, Marvel TV show. Apparently, apparently never. <laughs> well, apparently I'll make, never. <laughs> I'll make time to watch sexy vicars solving problems if they're British. But apparently, I won't make time to watch Being Mary Jane, despite getting having it having praise heaped upon it by friend of the show Elena Rivera. So. It also just kind of speaks to, and this is with me actively thinking about this stuff, not infrequently, I'm still self-selecting for white people stories. Actively. I'm making time for, oh, this show's coming back. I've never watched it before. Why don't I drop in for the premiere? People say it's good. And the one that I that I make time for the premiere, well, I mean, I made time for that premiere because it was on network and I watch all the network pods, but I make time for Rush Hour for a bad show with representation, but I don't make time for a good show with representation. And that's that's on me. I do not have a good reason why. I don't have a good reason why I don't either. Um, but I think, w- w- would it help to, like, just do a schedule or um because we're talking about resolutions and how we're trying to be better about this sort of stuff so i mean would it help to like make a schedule to carve out and say no i'm not going to watch these two episodes until i watch this um i think what i need to do and i think what will solve this for me quite frankly is to set aside some time when i have it which won't be until may because listeners April's going to try to kill me. I'm just telling you now, I expect to be horribly sick at least one week in April based on my ridiculous schedule in April. I have no time to watch extra things in April. But in May, I should. I should have lots of time. So carve out some time in May to go through my rundown of all the shows that I, like when all the new shows are coming back and when there are episodes of everything for the next, you know, several months, which of course I have because I'm... I'm way too uh, type A to not. And and put those shows in. So put in, oh, Being Mary Jane is coming back. I'm going to prioritize that. Put in other shows that hopefully people will, you know, leave a comment at the website, hit us up on Twitter, send an email to televisionsgmail.com and tell me other shows with representation that I should be seeking out that are good, that aren't going to just have a bunch of nondescript Asian ninjas because all Asian people can do karate and let's be fair there's no way for us to totally know 
<laughs> That's true. That's true. I haven't met every Asian person. I have not gone up to the people of Asian descent that I know and said, "Hey, by the way, just to check, do you know kung fu?" I I should I shouldn't make broad sweeping generalizations that all Asians don't know kung fu until I've done my research. But um they sure seem to on Daredevil. <laughs> the other thing that I've noticed about us is by far the area of our show that of the podcast that this hits the hardest not even close, is genre. Yeah. And that was surprising to me because genre is supposed to be this place where we can tell underrepresented stories, where we have a fantastical backdrop to address social issues, theoretically. Yeah, but theoretically, but at the same time... No one's doing that story right now. No, no one's doing that story right now. And even if you want a show to do that, like Cough, Cough, Game of Thrones... You get people who be like, well, it's a fantasy. You shouldn't expect that sort of thing. And yes, that was me being really derogatory towards people who expect, you know, fantasy inspired by uh, medieval Europe to be something more racially and sexually progressive. Mm -hmm. But then it's just like, well, it wasn't then, but it's a fucking fantasy. You can do whatever the fuck you want. No, that is not (laughs) what it was like back then when they had dragons. Yeah. Okay. And giant walls of ice with yeah. ice zombies. And, and ice spiders and, whatever, and giants. Whatever. And... I stopped watching after season one. What the fuck do I know? But <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of thing. Like, I mean, you, we get little gestures to it. So, like, Legends of Tomorrow does Kendra and Ray, And they immediately, as soon as they hook up, we're immediately into the late 1950s. And they have to very loosely deal with the raised eyebrows of being a by a uh, interracial couple and but thank goodness they were in Oregon and not you know Georgia mm-hmm. where they could the show could get away with doing a raised eyebrow as opposed to burning a cross in their yard yeah so I, there's gestures but there's never any like full on full throated commitment to it and i think that there's just we're comfortable with diversity in certain areas. And I don't know that genre for whatever reason really pushes that we can have diversity in something like scandal or basically the Shondaland shows and empire. (laughs) (laughs) And then we go, well, we're covered. Good job, everyone. Look at us. We did a really nice thing this, this season. And then you go, but, but, but did you, did you, Yeah, you did, but, Maybe a little bit more now, next season. Yeah. Well, and the thing I will say, uh, because I feel like I'm just yelling at myself for this entire segment. The thing I will say... Which is okay! (laughs) The thing I will say, though, is um, I I am much, much less likely to take on a new show if it is not either exceptional or incredibly promising, smack dab in the middle of my wheelhouse, or about some group other than a bunch of you know middle-aged white guys having problems um so you know i didn't stick with out the outsiders or outsiders and i haven't i as much as i enjoy the grinder i haven't stuck with that one the way that i've made sure i make time for the carmichael show or blackish or fresh off the boat um so i do find that while I need to be better about seeking out new shows, at least I'm not adding 
new shows that actively go against that, <laughs> this idea of what I'm trying to do with my viewing this season um, or this TV TV year. You know, at least I'm actively fighting, like lowering my average. I guess if yay me, I'm not lowering my terrible average. No. <laughs> oh well. But at least I'm at least I'm more aware, and hopefully I will continue to work on this and be more aware and be more open and notice and value those shows that are interested in engaging in different perspectives and in not uh, just having a black person, uh, a lesbian, a fill in the blank and having them speak for all of whatever, even just shows that want to have different types of female voices, which seems like it should be so basic but then you watch Jane the Virgin and you watch Jane interact with Petra and you realize when's the last time I saw two women this different interact on my TV. It's been quite a while if they weren't straight up enemies. Right. And you know what my big takeaway from this discussion has been? What? You're way more invested in bettering yourself, whereas I'm just like, God, I hope I don't fall asleep during Nova this week. <laughs> well, you're actually doing more viewing than I am, so I think uh, we're about we're about even on this one. <laughs> go, go team underachievement. Woohoo! Podcast oh, well. high five. Podcast high five, Noel. Well, uh, I think um, I think that's where we should close out the segment. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the podcast. You can find a post for this episode up at theteleverse.org uh, where you can leave a comment. Let me know what shows I should be watching. Let me know what your favorite show is that we don't talk about, particularly if it's not a bunch about a bunch of white, straight, uh, middle-aged people having problems or inventing problems because they don't really have any. Um, and, uh, and, and let me know, you know, let, let Noel know, I'm asking this for, on your behalf, Noel, let Noel know what other documentary series he might like that might be a little more engaging for him. Right. For I, when I may, these shows end. Yes. I may, I may need something more educational than Nova or <laughs> more interesting than Nova. At least. I was going to say more educational than Nova. I feel like you're going to have a hard time there. Right. No, I probably would have a hard time. I mean, there's a wealth of documentary and educational programming um out there it's just i i was very self-selecting so hopefully at some point someone will want to do a dvd shelf on cosmos and we'll get to watch those because that would be awesome how have we how have you not had someone want to do cosmos nobody's ever wanted to do cosmos i'm sure i can find someone to do cosmos i found two people willing to do a loud uh not great wb show so (laughs) we do not (laughs) seek out people for shows except in rare instances they have to come to us they have to say you know what show null i want to talk about i must talk about cosmos and if you're listening critic podcast friend of the show out there and that's you oh my goodness please reach out <laughs> yes please you can also email the televerse at gmail.com you can like us in, on facebook and start up a conversation there you can find us in itunes where we have an m4a chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed um and we would appreciate any ratings or reviews there it does help other people find the show you can find us both on twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk and my rating is up at the av club and right now i'm reviewing the path and noel I'm reviewing the Arrowverse shows and The Good Wife. Over at TV.com. Yes. I just, 
I was just like, uh, anywhere, maybe. Who knows? Anywhere. On media places. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the podcast this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.